0: Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Six Pixels Under podcast. This is episode 66, and I am Nerd Slayer, your host. And it is the 13th of January, 2020, and we have a lot to get to today. Uh, my hair looks still wet because I just took a shower. But uh, <laughs> uh, hello and welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast. Um, at the top, we're going to go ahead and get out of the way. Um, the news that i've finished the gameplay slash recording process of my world of warcraft's review i also uh have now decided what my next game is going to be that i'm going to be reviewing my next mmo that i'm going to be reviewing i should specify since that's the goal with that series is to start making reviews in different mmos um so yeah I'll I'll announce what the next game is going to be, for those who don't know already, and then I will do a little bit of a Death of a Game recap on my Artifact video, since there were some interesting happenings that have happened since I launched the video, and I promised I'd do these things, um, and I haven't done one, so, (laughs) yeah, I'm gonna do that. Let me turn down my mic, because I don't know how my mic gets turned up so damn loud, but I can see it clipping and it's tilting me. Okay, that's much better. Alright, sorry. We're doing it live, right? So the first thing I want to get out of the way is uh, last night um, I finished Molten Core. That was my first time running through Molten Core and uh, WoW, of course, WoW Classic. And uh, man, it was, a, it was an experience. I'll certainly say um, I have a couple takeaways from it. Obviously, I'm going to save the meat of it for my WoW review video. Um, That should be coming out this month. But uh, I'll say that I was pleasantly surprised by Molten Core. I enjoyed it way more than Anixia, And I certainly enjoyed it more than just about any other PvE content in the game. Um, So I came away from it thinking like... And I was talking to Card about this in Discord. I came away thinking, wow, this is what WoW does the best, right? Like this kind of content is what they've done the best. And it kind of made me realize my hopes and dreams of them becoming some PVP game or having some uh big PVP focus would be a big deal, you know? I thought maybe they could resurrect that with classic WoW, right? I've always wanted that to be a big thing in WoW and it's just it just isn't, right? It's just it's a secondary thing and after playing Molten Core, um it, it definitely felt like that. It felt like the PVP years in WoW are like the second-class citizens by far. I mean, it's not even... But you can tell where the majority of the resources are being spent. Um, I was impressed by the model, the animation, um, the scale of RAG, and um, the entirety of the um, raid. I think it was nicely paced had a good level of difficulty. And, uh, of course, it's always fun to play with other players and do um guild activities. So I did that with Mayhem, which is now the guild that I'm with that is... A mixture of axiom guys and gg guys grief goons guys which is the guild that i've been playing with since basically launch um yeah so we had a good time it was one of our fastest clears apparently we were down six people so i think we did it with like 34 people instead of the max 40 um but yeah i uh yeah no i've never done uh i've never done molten core because i like i've told people this and i feel like they almost don't believe it about me but like I existed primarily outside of the sphere of influence of WoW. Like as much as you could possibly do that because it was influencing everything else. But I just mean like the game itself. I tried multiple times to get into it uh back when I was younger and I just couldn't. It just never hooked me. It never caught my interest at the time I was more into role playing and um eventually PvP. So those two things I just didn't really find that fun and wow and didn't think it was better than what was on the market at the time with games like City of Heroes, Star Wars Galaxies, Darkfall, um Ultima, Dark Age of Camelot, Warhammer, etc etc. There's been so many games but um Guild Wars Anyway, I was uh I kind of went into Molten Core I'll say uh, Puget, uh thanks for the 1000 bit donation, man. Finally back from holidays. Hope you all had a good year and ready for the new, or re- ready for the Asian New Year. Well, happy uh, Asian New Year then, man. <laughs> if that's what you're celebrating right now. I was less influenced by WoW than you. Oh yeah, that's that's for sure. Because you said you didn't even play the game, so that, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, you can you can claim superiority over me on that. To be honest. <laughs> uh, hey, what's up, Simper Pidelis? Nice name, by the way. Ura. <laughs> Uh, my best friend um, was a marine for I think like now six, seven years, and uh, just recently like got out. Basically, what's crazy is like when he joined the marines, it was the it was the last unit. Sorry, he joined right after the last unit was deployed to Afghanistan. So it was like crazy timing, and it what was crazy is is like at one point i thought i wanted to join the military as well so we were yeah we were on a different path then and it's obviously changed since then i i bet you guys couldn't imagine me joining the military now starting on the 25th awesome honestly i heard about wild classic and i was happy for those with massive nostalgia goggles but i had no interest <clears throat> yeah i'll say that um my takeaway from it is that it certainly isn't a um it certainly isn't a uh a nostalgia goggle thing for me, right? All right, so this is actually good timing since i got a i just got an email from um somebody. So, uh i i wanted to do um before i announce what the next death of a game is, since i'm getting messages from somebody right now on on email, i figured i'd just go ahead and highlight it. So i did a death of a game on Artifact, um <clears throat> which uh Aren't you too tall for the millet? It's funny you say that because if you've ever heard of Marcus Luttrell, the story uh Lone Survivor, Marcus Luttrell's from um pretty close to where I'm from in Texas, and he's actually like the same height as me. Um 6'5 as well, and he joined the um Navy SEALs. If you guys have ever heard of his story, it's a pretty crazy story. But uh I when I was looking into his story, I was just like totally taken aback by him talking about going through um i think it's buds right and going through the different training processes as a 6'5 dude he talked about how it was like so unbelievably hard to do things like climb rope to do things like pick up the the boat uh they had to carry this boat because he's the tallest guy so he has to do the majority of the carrying like man he, he it was crazy talking about that stuff too i thought you can't be too tall to join the military only too small Oh man, Artifact, I'm like the only content creator for it. Yeah, no, it, it is a pretty decent ratio. So on this video, um, the first things I want to get out of the way are, actually, there's been drama about this video. So I actually talked about it right here, and I'm going to highlight this because I promised them I would highlight this publicly. And if they keep pressuring me, I'll make a video about it as well. So I was contacted by a company by the name of Cond Nast, which apparently is a... Uh, big corporation that owns a bunch of other different media outlets the one in particular that they own here is uh, Ars Technica so Ars Technica is a tech company I think they cover games and stuff like that and so in this video um, there was a clip that we used and originally the clip was not sourced which is by the way beside the point actually legally it, it doesn't matter if it's not sourced because of fair use but I'll get, in that. I'll get into that for a, uh, a little bit later um, Uh, So let me first just talk about how uh, These processes typically work. So like somebody will typically flag your shit on YouTube. You'll get a notification You see what the flag is and I've done this before Um, a lot of the times. It's an automatic flag sometimes people can flag it themselves and uh, You can determine with like, you know, whatever evidence you have in the video if your video um, is a copyright infringement on somebody And so being a YouTuber who does um, being a YouTuber who does uh, postmortems, obviously, it's very often that we end up using other people's footage Um, in most cases just simply because, I mean, in order to to get enough footage for all of these videos, the time taken alone would just be I mean, if you look at my first couple of videos, I did all of the footage myself. And those took me a month to make each like each death of a game early on was taking me like a month to make. And it was just like, I can't I can't make a career out of doing a month uh, or a a video a month, basically. Uh, It's just it's crazy. So having to source it all yourself was just like not working. So I looked into, you know, is it possible that you can show, for example, trailer footage, show um, other people's footage? Um, if you're you know showing it obviously not in its entirety not claiming you own it etc etc and sure enough of course there's this concept um, called fair use so fair use is a very controversial thing on youtube because it's it's a law in the united states that's not really adequately explained and um, for example fair use is essentially saying that you're taking somebody's content um, and using it transformatively which means that you're transforming its original intention right it's original meaning another part of fair use is um, are you trying to claim that the work is yours right that's another part of fair use and then the other part of fair use is is it educational and like what's the purpose of it right and so on this video um, and I'll show you guys on the screen <laughs> and this is an intellectual property right um, so with that being said the way fair use works is you don't actually you you guys see this right here how it's sourced down here you don't actually have to do that in fact a lot of the time when people um use other people's footage they don't source it so that was something that i knew immediately that was something i didn't want to do i never wanted someone to feel like i was taking their content without crediting them so even no matter how small the channel is i've pretty much always listed whenever we've um highlighted somebody's video right it's pretty much always been that way. Like, as soon as the, the clip pops up, you'll get a, uh, a notification about, sorry, let me turn the sound off. You'll see like a notification of when it's somebody's gameplay. I'm trying to find an example. Oh, here we go. And so say, for example, Hearthstone Murloc. I don't even know if that channel is big, small. I don't really care. Um, the point is, is that my editor used their footage and as he's instructed, now he has to source them. So that's just something that we do um, and honestly is, has been like um, something that I get a lot of compliments and a lot of, uh, I would say, um, positive feedback on. Uh, in fact, on this video alone, on this Artifact video, what's funny is um, I've gotten at least a few dozen comments from people who saw that I used part of their footage and they thanked me. They were, they were thankful to be featured in a video and thankful that I sourced their content, right? Um, But Condnast uh, or Ars Technica did an interview with Richard Garfield. And in the video originally, the the, the video was not, uh, or that clip was not sourced. And so that was a mistake on my editor's part and not really something he was intending to do. Um, But it's kind of technically beside the point when it comes to fair use. So as you see here, we ended up blurring all of the footage. And that's just because. We got a notification from this company stating that we were infringing on their copyright. And not just that. In fact, I'll, I'll show you guys um, what, it, what it said. Interesting. All right. So it started off saying, I'm writing you in hopes of avoiding the involvement of our lawyers. That was, that was the first sentence. <laughs> um, and it talks about Condemnast owning the copyrights to this material. And then it linked just the video. It didn't tell me what parts of the video. It didn't say what sections. It, it, was, it was a bit very, like, broad. And so I kind of realized this is just some broad copy-paste email that they send out to people. Um, other things that I noticed on the email itself is it talks about a confidentiality notice. Which the hilarious thing about confidentiality notices is they're not a real thing. They don't actually exist. When someone puts confidential on their email, it doesn't actually exist. And the point for that is that an agreement has to be agreed by both parties. So when someone says that in their email, it's typically something they do to pressure you and make you feel like, oh, no, I can't talk about this. Like, this is so confidential. No, I told them point blank in my first response that, hey, just so you guys know, everything you're sending me will be public. I will post all of this. I will show you everything. I will I will make a video on it because that's how I work with my audience. My audience knows I'm honest, so I don't have anything to hide, basically right and so uh after responding to them um i told them at first I, th- I just thought it was a matter of their content not being sourced so i was like oh shit well this is a mistake so i apologize for that and of course my editor is was beside himself and he was like i'm so sorry this is like you know especially because it was like a very successful video he's like i'm really sorry like this is such a bad thing like you know um i'll pl- i'll blur it out i'll try and you know fix the problem etc cetera, etc cetera. and so um they, were, they never told me what parts of the video or, or, or sections of the video the interview was used in, right? And, and if I could show you guys the interview, or, sorry, the clips, it, as you can see, I'm playing it on screen uh, now. The clips don't last very long, right? So here's a clip that was blurred out. That's basically just showing Richard Garfield's face and showing him talking to a reporter or a journalist from Richard Garfield. So that, that was the clip. Here's, a, here's an Ars Technica clip for, let's see, how many seconds? Five seconds, right? The interview is completely blurred out though. Like every every section of the video, we blurred the the the, uh the interview out. And so I was like, Okay, yeah, we blurred it, you know, that seems to be the best thing we can do. We can't edit it out and we can't put a source in there, right? We can't hard edit the video itself. Um but was what was interesting is uh when they responded they said um they they gave me a list. And so that's what this is right here, uh they gave me a list of the parts of the video that are in question and, and some of these are literally used for just a couple of seconds and so the response said this it said um i've circulated the matter internally blurring the content is more ideal from your end but given the number of times ars technica video was used which by the way according to fair use law doesn't matter how many times it was used it has nothing to do with anything um cond recruits or cond. I think the company, requests that the footage be fully removed from your video instead of blurred out. So basically, they want the video to be removed. And so I told them the law. I told them what fair use was. And what I found interesting is their response was this. They said, any transformative works like parodies and commentaries need to be made in relation to the original work. Your video does not make any commentary or other transformative use of specifically richard garfield's interview with ars technica or ars technica's editor playing artifact which is by the way impossible to prove there's there's zero way you could ever prove that because as it's happening on screen not only is there graphics being done not only is there edits and and, and uh transitions being done by my editor himself right he created those not only is the art showcased in the video our art right like the transitional art but it's also my voice, it's my writing, and etc. Right? So like that. By that point, it's transformative. But they're trying to make a technical argument stating that the interview use itself was not uh, that. So they said that it, all factors considered, we do regard your use of Ars Technica's content copyright infringement, not fair use. And then they talked about re-uploading the video without officially flagging of copyright infringement to YouTube which I believe demonetizes a video entirely, which by the way is not true. So in the emails that I've spoken to these people about so far, I've already gotten threats. I've already gotten um, basically like things that aren't true, right? Like according to my understanding of the YouTube laws and rules and laws and rules of fair use, um, that's not true, right? So again, that's my perspective um, from reading the actual law. And then I was I was told that um that it would if it would be preferable if they could re-edit the video so that credit is hard-coded into the actual video. But the video, all the content that was showed was blurred. So what what content are they talking about sourcing? If the if the content is blurred, what are you sourcing exactly? The blurred footage? Like I guess like yeah, I guess you could technically say the blurred footage is the footage that you would want to be sourced, but would anybody really want that to be sourced or is it just kind of something that somebody's doing because they're trying to pressure me i mean they started off with a uh, a threat right that we're going to involve our lawyers that we're going to copyright strike you i just recently got an email now um that says i hope you're well kindly followed up here as it seems the video has not been edited as requested so I just wanted to tell you guys, basically, that's what I've been dealing with so far from this Ars Technica person. <clears throat> so um, the the truth of the matter is, is as it stands right now, my editor and I are going to blur the footage, put the link in the video and then have cards up on screen. Um, I believe that come near the end of the video that state where the video is from. But otherwise, we do not plan to take the video down. So that's that's how that's currently how where I stand. We're talking about the artifact video. Um, That's currently where I stand on it. But I just wanted to let you guys know. um, So you guys know what's going on. Because there's been some recent drama on YouTube about a uh, particular YouTube channel that was kind of blackmailed by a publisher. Uh, I can't remember the name, but I'm sure somebody in chat knows the story. And um, they were like... They were telling them to pay like $3,000 for using like a clip or something for a meme or... Uh, junk Junkin Media. Yeah, so there was recently a bunch of drama about this Junkin Media thing. And so it was weird because it was um it, yeah, it, it it was weird, right? And so the 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 footage that was used, let me first say, it was only used uh, from my perspective, I don't know why my editor exactly used it, but I'm pretty sure he only used it because it just it was a good quality shot of Richard Garfield's face and he just interspersed it throughout the video. So like he was trying to as i talk about richard garfield show richard garfield right and um as i talked about um his uh his his thought process he was just showing him on the screen right so that that was like his reasoning for using an interview clip which i know i don't have to explain that to you guys most of you understand why you would show an interview clip to show somebody's face um because yeah it, the, the the thing the the truth of the matter is is that um, that that's kind of how we're going to handle it. So I'm talking to my editor about making sure everything else is figured out with the video. But as it stands right now, we do not plan to take the video down. So, um, if we continue to be pressured, I'll promise you guys, and this is not a threat. This is just truth. I'm going to make a video about it. So I'll make a video explaining the entire process. So you guys know what's going on. And, um, so we don't let people like this get away with it because at this point, it's just like, you start to look, like, a a bit foolish in that scenario, you know? Like, what are you actually trying to accomplish? Because you look at the junk in media situation, and in their case, they were trying to make money. In this case, they were first stating to take the video down, then they're stating that you can edit in the source, but we already blurred out the footage, so what are we sourcing exactly? And why did you change your mind after I told you guys we weren't going to take it down? It It just seems like it's, like, I don't know. I don't really understand it. it. It's pretty weird, but I wanted to get that out of the way because that's one of those things that makes me uncomfortable because this is my job. This is my career. You know, like somebody threatening to end my career or um, potentially harm my career in some way. It The audio doesn't belong to them. We never We never showed any of the audio. It's just the footage, right? Which, again, under fair use, I believe I'm more than protected, which is why I'm standing by my rights as a uh, a YouTube content creator, right? And as a person. <clears throat> MXR mods. That that was the name of the channel. It's legal trolling. Basically tell them to lawyer up because they won't. And since you live in Texas, you got slap law behind you. I think a lot of legal work ends up like that. You get told to get rid of something and you either contest that or not. Yeah, it's um it's weird because it's like uh you you would think that um you would think that first, whenever you're trying to like talk about something, you would first actually watch the video. I know they didn't actually watch the video. What they did is they probably got some type of flag from the YouTube copyright system. Thanks YouTube for creating that stupid system, by the way. Which just flags people who aren't even using it to infringe on copyright, right? But are using it to tell a story <laughs> about a game. <laughs> a story that I might add that a lot of people really liked and really enjoyed. A story that Needed to be told, uh, in my opinion, right? Alright. Anyway, I got that shit out of the way, so let's go ahead and get to something else. Um, The next game that I'm going to be featuring on my uh, review series, which hasn't even come out yet, but I'm already going to be starting uh, the process, of course, because as you guys know, I've talked about it before... When it comes to MMO reviews, it really is like it's pretty difficult to do them. Like you have to spend potentially hundreds of hours playing a game. So it's not the same as just playing like a random regular game where you can throw 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours into something. Um that, that that's not enough when it comes to MMO reviews. So I've got to get started right away even though I'm still finishing up the writing and the voiceover for my WoW review. Um I've decided that my next one is going to be Guild Wars 2. So I don't know exactly when I'm going to start. Um it it looks like I'm probably going to start the end of this week, but um we'll see, it depends. But uh I, I want to get this WoW review done before I get too heavily into Guild Wars 2, but um yeah so Guild Wars 2 is going to be the next game I'm going to feature, and then after Guild Wars 2 I'm probably going to do Final Fantasy 14, and after Final Fantasy 14 I'm probably going to do Elder Scrolls Online. So like that currently that's what the uh what the plan is, you know that's the uh, trajectory that I have so far. Um, why I still don't play Guild Wars 2 so actually I thought it was a perfect opportunity to do a Guild Wars 2 review because I get to experience the new content with Path of Fire and also uh, Heart of Thorns which I didn't experience before um, and didn't experience when I made my video and I also get to do it while recording footage and uh, showcasing kind of my perspective in a lot more hands-on uh, fashion when I did my why I don't play videos, they were mainly done like just because we needed more um traffic and more I would say we just needed more YouTube algorithm on our side. So I needed to make more videos and my editor doesn't work for me full time, so I edited those videos myself. That's why they're so shittily edited, uh, shittily edited. Uh, because I edited those myself. <laughs> um but my biggest regret in doing those videos with Eve, with Guild Wars 2 with Black Desert Online is not actually getting into the game and showing people exactly what I'm talking about. Because like when I talked about Black Desert Online, when I talked about uh, Guild Wars 2, when I talked about EVE Online, I made the mistake of just showing gameplay and not showing exactly the gameplay I wanted to show, if that makes sense. So in that case, it would have been better, actually, if I took all the footage myself. Because when it, when, when you're trying to convince... A person or at least explain your perspective to somebody you've got to make sure that lines don't get crossed right and a good example of this is on my e video when i was talking about the gameplay being you know i mean not not only just slow but boring as hell i showed like a clip on screen that was like a a a low level ship was fighting a pve um and sorry an ai ship And so people latched onto that and were like, because of course, anytime that you're already going against somebody's like opinion, they're going to look for things that you mess up on uh, very quickly. So people were like, oh, you're trying to say that because you show this PVE video, that means that the combat in the game sucks, but you actually just showed a PVE video when you should be showing other types of uh, gameplay. So their argument was basically like what you're showing doesn't match what you're saying because what you're showing is like the very entry level of the game. I can tell you, like, for example, that was beside the point. Like, it has nothing. I still stand by the same exact opinion because whether or not it's a thousand people playing, it's five people playing, it doesn't matter for me. Eve Online, the game itself, the engine, the way it plays, I don't like it. Right. But because I didn't show people exactly what I was trying to say, there's room for, like, um, I guess there's room for uh confusion the guild wars 2 video um the reason why i want to do a guild wars 2 review on uh or sorry i want to do a guild wars 2 review was because with the guild wars 2 video the thing that i didn't really talk about a whole lot was pve and that's a huge part of the game so like i can admit that that it wasn't my focus when i played the game and i admitted that in the video itself but looking back i was like hmm if I did a review on it, it would give me the chance to experience all of the PvE content, which is, you know, apparently people's favorite part of the game, and introduce me to a perspective that otherwise I haven't experienced yet. So maybe after playing that and looking at it from a different lens, I'd actually enjoy the game more, is kind of what I'm thinking, since I've done this already in the past. Uh, not not like in a video series, but I've done this internally. I talked about it in my Star Wars The Old Republic video, where like, with that video, originally, I wasn't... Sorry, um... With Star Wars The Old Republic, originally, I've talked about it in the video, but um, I looked at it like an MMO, but when I went back to the game, I looked at it like an RPG, and it totally changed my perspective of the game. It's why in the video, which is hilarious, by the way, because people will always say that I'm the bad boogeyman who just hates SWTOR, but in the video, I actually recommend the game, right? I actually say it's a good game, just not a good MMO. But, um, anyway, that's a little bit nuanced, so people can miss that, but... With Guild Wars 2, I'll have that extra perspective now to be like, does this match what I said before after adding this whole other component to it? Will my opinion kind of stay the same? And not to mention, I've changed my mindset now, so when I go into Guild Wars 2, I'm not going to really be expecting some massive multiplayer online game. I'm not. In fact, um, that's one of my criticisms and has always been my criticism of the game is that it just doesn't really feel like that. The The funny thing about it, though, is that... I think I only had that perspective because of how hyped the game was and how it was sold to the public, but looking back at it now in hindsight and looking back at Guild Wars One, one of my favorite games ever, which I describe as a multiplayer online r p g not a massive multiplayer online r p g because of well there's level or uh, sorry there's player caps and zones, and nearly everything is completely instanced to the point where it feels like a lobby game uh but looking back at Guild Wars One and now looking at Guild Wars Two, I kind of realize. They're a lot more similar than I originally thought. And uh, I can admit that I was wrong about that. Like when I when I first saw, saw it, I was like, oh, Guild Wars 2 is trying to be massive multiplayer. Blah, blah. It, I think it was saying that it was, but its actual design wasn't, right? And I don't think that was ever really their goal. Like m- maybe it was initially, but I don't think it was ever really their goal from a design perspective. Just because you look at the way the game's made and it just doesn't feel like it was really trying to be that. So I think going back and playing it with that in mind, I think I'll change my perspective. To be honest, yeah. But that, but mate, that video was maybe your most off. You called it dying, and years later, it's still getting expansions. Sorry, what game did I call dying? Uh, you got to be specific. you regret putting filler clips in instead of actually just showing it? Yeah. that's. I know I didn't do the best job of explaining that, but in a a nutshell, that's what I'm trying to say, Simper Piedelis, is uh, my regret with making those videos is not actually showing exactly what I'm talking about myself. Like, showing it in the game, I think, gives you a level of freedom to explain to people exactly what you're trying to say. Like, for example, when I was talking about the hitboxes in Black Desert Online, I showed videos trying to kind of talk about what i was saying but to me like it's such a complicated concept for people who don't have experience with it i have no business showing clips right like it's a it's a concept that i need to actually like help people understand and to help them understand as an educator because i don't just do youtube videos to shit on games right i also like educating people um and educating hopefully future developers right so they don't make the same mistakes um so yeah my goal is not to this game is bad my goal is this is why i don't like the game right um so in my or in my um swotor video uh it's it's described in all of my death of a game videos in the in the description if you click on the description but for me death is more nuanced than one single definition and by the way for majority of other people it is as well it's just that when people hear dead they they only think literally but like literal death is the first definition There's, I think, four definitions of death. Um, There's also multiple subjective definitions, right? For example, this place is dead. A place isn't living. So how can a place actually be dead? It can't be, right? It's impossible for a non-living thing to be dead. But people say that this place is dead because they're trying to say a figure of speech. Like, it's pretty dead, right? There's like five people here. So when I made my claim about the game being dead... I still stick by that claim, and I don't think it's wrong at all because my argument is explained in the video. But I can explain it in a simple, uh, uh, or as simply as possible, and as few words as possible. The game, when it originally came out, not only does it still, to this day, have possibly the biggest budget we've ever seen in a massive multiplayer online RPG. Um, like, th- think about that. Like when it first launched, the numbers that we know for sure are it was at least two hundred million. That's the numbers we know are confirmed. We don't know about how much money they spent on marketing, the blur trailers, the mini blur trailers they did, the other expansions, the other advertisements, um, the other content, for example. We don't know how much money has been spent overall on Swotor, but we know at the start it was at least 200 million. All right, so now we have this 200 million number. Recently, news came out that the game has eclipsed over a billion dollars. The game has been out now for a total of about nine years, right? So after nine years, the game has raised $1 billion. For some people, that's that seems like really exciting and like a super high number, right? That means the game has to be successful. Um, but the thing is, is like Star Wars toys in a single quarter can make billions of dollars. Um, the Star Wars IP is quite possibly the biggest IP there is, right? I don't know if there is a bigger IP than Star Wars. So it's like a Star Wars game doing a billion over nine years. It's not that important when you, or sorry, it's not that significant when you think about it from that context. But remember that 200 million? Remember that 200 million number that I mentioned? Take that 200 million number, subtract it by that billion number. Okay, so now we're at 800 million, right? Well, they didn't just stop spending money on the game, right? Like, that's not how MMO development works at all. They didn't just stop spending money after the game launched. They kept spending money. How much more money did they spend? 100? 200? 300 we don't know but my point is is that when you start to do the math you realize that billion number starts to shrink smaller and smaller and smaller Um, the other point uh, in the video is The game at first had a population of 1.8 to 2 million players. Sorry. It was 2.2 million players I think if I remember correctly 2.2 million players were playing SWOTOR at launch within just a few months It was already dropping down to 1.8. It was already dropping down to 1.2 it was already dropping down to 800,000 in, in the same year, like a couple of months later. And then, of course, now we're where we're at now, where it's like, if we want to statistically, mathematically come up with what range of percentage they have from their original population, I'm sure somebody in chat can do the math, 2 million, break break down 2 million down to, I don't know, let's be nice and say they have 10,000 players right now. Which, by the way, I, there's no evidence to state that they have anything close to that amount of players. But let's just say it's 10,000 players. Anybody want to do the math, or how about I make it 2,000 or 20,000 players so the math is easier? Wh- whichever is easier for you guys. But if anyone wants to do that math, if you don't think dropping over 95 percent of your population is considered a failure, we just disagree. We're never gonna agree, right? Like we're n- we're never gonna agree. If if you think that. A game losing 95 plus percent of their population is not a failure. We're just never going to agree. We're never going to see eye to eye. Your, your perspective of failure is different than mine. Um, the other thing to mention is recently uh, Swotor has put out this Onslaught expansion. Ex- expansion. Because let's call it what it is. It's a content update, right? Is it really an expansion? And is that me just being mean or me being short or me being like negative? No, let's just compare the the actual expansion, right? Onslaught, compare it to Shadow of Revan, compare it to the Hut Cartel, compare it to uh, Knights of the Fallen Empire, Uh, and uh, what's the other one? Knights of the Fallen Throne, or I I can't. There's Knights of the Fallen Empire, then there's the other one. Does anybody here like? Does anyone here want to make an argument that Onslaught, the most recent Swotor expansion? has even just an ounce of the same amount of content as these previous expansions. It just doesn't, guys. I mean, like, let's just be realistic, right? (laughs) Like, it doesn't have nearly as much content. Uh, Like, you can read that in the actual content update. Like, in the expansion page, you can go to Swotor, read what they have listed. It's nowhere near how much they added in those other expansions, right? Nowhere near. And so, now, like, I'm building context here because it matters. It's important. So when you look at it from that lens, And you also look at it from the lens of two years ago, for example, uh, Swotor used to... Or sorry, now it would be about three years ago. Swotor used to be listed on the uh, EA financials. Actually, it might be four now because in the video, it was prior as well. It wasn't current. Anyway, point being is in the video, um, this is like a surprise for many people, but EA is a... um, EA is a publicly traded company, which means they have to publicly show you um, their financials, right? They don't have to show you exactly everything, but like give or take, they have to show you kind of what how much they're making, their profit margins, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to be Mr. Business Class because I'm not even the guy to do that. Just go look up um, why public companies have to show their financials. EA is a public company who shows their financials. So a number of years ago, I want to say three to four years ago, EA stopped showing Swotour on their uh on their uh financials. Now I want to ask a couple of, you know, you and Chad, maybe to not make this a rhetorical question. Um, why would a company who was previously showing a game on their financials no longer show it on their financials? Like what's the reason for that? Is it because the game's doing really well? Like, if your game was doing really, really well, would you take it off the financials and hide it in the other section? Or would you first page Look at how amazing this game's doing, which is what NCSoft does with Lineage, right? With Blade and Soul, with um, with Ion, with their like main money makers in Korea. It's on the first page. You can go look up and see exactly how much money those games are making. Well, EA doesn't do that, and definitely doesn't do that with uh, SwoTOR. In fact, the most interesting thing I found about looking into the financials and finding it was that they before they took swotor off of its uh off the financials, its percentages were dropping drastically so it just there's actual evidence to state that e a themselves doesn't see it as a success because why is it relegated to their other section for example, why does it make such little money that it doesn't get its own section anymore like I only see that as like because it doesn't make as much money anymore right like it's it's really that simple so like that's my like nuanced argument um that's my nuanced argument concerning the death of uh, swotor so yeah the game is definitely currently alive right literally alive um the game is still getting an update onslaught i think came out like what two months ago right or a month or so ago um but is anyone really going to make the argument it's anywhere close to how much it was not just focused on in the past but the amount of money put behind it and the amount of money it was generating before. And if you want to ask, like, well, how can they keep the game going if it's not making that much money? Well, that's actually the simplest part to explain. It's because when they switch from a $15 a month business plan where you buy the game and then you pay $15 a month to a a free-to-play microtransaction cash shop, what they do is they eliminate the ceiling. So before they had a ceiling, it was $15 a month was their ceiling. Well, now that they've erased the ceiling, now potentially they could have one player spend $1,000. That's called a whale, right? Star Trek Online has this exact phenomenon. where like give or take about four to 5,000 people concurrently keep playing Star Trek Online. And those people are basically keeping the game alive. Like they're the whales who keep the game alive. So it's a good thing. That free to play as a style of game exists because it gives players the chance to play games that probably wouldn't have made it if they kept you know trying to be subscription based games. Um, so there's a good thing that comes with that in a sense. It's but you can also argue there's a lot of negative that comes with that because for example, Swootor has cash shops. Uh, it's cash shop. Sorry, has uh loot boxes. It has um, it has uh XP boost. It has uh, things like uh pay for convenience right like your ability to summon a speeder sorry summon a um a transport uh your ability to um wear certain costumes or outfits that are really no longer given in the game right like once a cash shop starts um allowing you to pay for costumes it's basically like them admitting that We don't want our armor in the game to actually be that great, per se, because we want you to just transmog it. So, what Swotor did, which is a brilliant idea, like business wise, is they got rid of gear stats and just made it to where it's modular based. So, you put, uh, uh, sorry, attachments into the gear, which change the gear. Why is that so significant? Can anybody think of why that's so significant? It's so significant because now, when you buy a costume from the store, you can put your own gear uh, modulars on it or your own. uh, attachments, if you will. So now they've effectively created the market, right? Because now you want to get the reven armor, or whatever armors they sell on this on the shops. Um, a lot of those armors, I should also specify, you can't buy in their entirety. You have to get them from loot boxes. So now they've added another barrier, right? So now it's not just you can't buy a costume. Now it's like, well, this costume you can only get in the loot box. So now you're start, like, when the, once the gears uh, start turning, you start realizing. How it's such good business to transition to such a thing. Lord of the Rings Online, of course, most famously did that as well. Uh, what's another one that had a lot of success going free-to-play? Um, Swotor and Lord of the Rings Online are probably like the big- biggest examples I can think of, but there has to be another one, or another two. A bunch of games tried to go free-to-play, and it didn't work out for all of them, so it doesn't just magically work out. And maybe it was so good that they wanted to hide it. <laughs> they didn't want blizzard to become jealous uh, you only turn off game pro- uh, servers once you don't get profits city of heroes did make money but it was uh, about to be put to sleep because it did not make money in a competitive way yeah so that that's actually true um and it's explained in my city of heroes video is um the the city of heroes game uh was actually making money they had a good population even but unfortunately that Their version of making money or our version of making money and profit margins doesn't necessarily um, satisfy NCSofts, right? As a Korean company who's having to operate overseas, basically. Um, Maybe the profits, as we've talked about with Guild Wars 2, um, which is related to this topic, just aren't good enough for them, right? Free-to-play is a model that sacrifices too much. It's... it's, Man, my opinion on free-to-play has changed so much, man like when i first encountered it i was like most westerners like what the hell is this this is weird i don't know if i like this like paying for this and paying for that like i just preferred my subscription fee and then i played a couple of games and i was like well i like that i can just try them out without having to buy them first i kind of like that there was no barrier to entry and then you start encountering things like gold selling and then you start encountering things like spamming uh people spamming and then you encounter things like um now that there's no barrier, it means everybody can join, which lowers the quality typically of the kind of players who do end up playing the game just by nature um, because not many people are going to put the time and effort into buying a game that has a subscription fee if they're just going to be kind of like more likely to get themselves banned, right? Like why would you get banned after paying a 40 $50 box price and a subscription fee? Like I'm not saying people don't get banned in those cases. They do, of course. But like compared to a free-to-play game, There's a lot less incentive to want to do risky things, right? Um, And the other thing that I've recently kind of started to realize about free to play is I think the most insidious part about it is not the model itself. And I talked about this in my business model video um, because I don't like to just blame a business model. Um, I think it actually has more to do with how they design the game around it. And um, a good example of that is ArcheAge. ArcheAge was basically designed in a way to make money. Like um, the way the labor point system works and has always worked i don't really know if you can make an argument that that helps or serves the player right i think the argument is more that that serves the developers because now they have a way to monetize that um i think Arcade was a game that was basically built around monetization and so that game honestly opened my eyes to be like i don't know if i can say i like free-to-play as much anymore so it's like it's definitely a a, a business model that for me has kind of been knocked down a couple of pegs especially with the introduction of um loot boxes which are i mean I just can't stand loot boxes <laughs> it's it's gambling like let's call it what it is it's gambling but um yeah it, it's some games do a really good job of having a free to play system and that's why I don't think it's just fair to shit on all of them like of course Path of Exile was always mentioned as a great example of that and there's other examples too i think people typically like Warframe right for that Um, and I'm sure other people in chat will list a couple more examples, but anyway, I'm just trying to say that I've kind of realized, um, going from a negative to positive to kind of more like, I guess you would say I'm in between now. I'm a little bit more like, all right, well, it has its pros and it has its cons. Um, but it's not just simply bad and it's not just simply good. (laughs) Free gold, please. Free to play players. (laughs) EA opportunity cost looks high. that's why it looks odd to me that they keep it alive Swotor um no nah, i don't think I don't think that's odd because they own the license to make um Star wars games right and they they I think they own it for another year or so like they're near the end of their licensing deal with um Disney and Lucas but I think that that actually has more to do with why they keep it alive. I think it's more that um Disney uh, now, who's you know of course the rights holder doesn't want them to just get rid of it, um but there was I think a year or two ago rumblings from very like credible sources that were saying that they were considering shutting it down, but apparently, Disney didn't want that, so what that means exactly, I have no idea, um but I think it is a good thing, of course, because the game gets to live a little bit longer um but that being said, I saw an interesting thread on the forum where or sorry on on Reddit where it was talking about how. People were saying, oh, well, there's not going to be a new Star Wars MMO because SWTOR is still making money. And it it just kind of made me realize, like, sorry, but how delusional are you if you still think it's making enough money to where they wouldn't want to make another game to make millions upon millions more money? Like, that's always an option for those big companies. Like, big corporations, like, the fact that SWTOR makes, like, a paltry amount of money is nice and certainly nice because they don't have a lot of overhead and they don't have a lot of development focus on it which has been admitted already when uh bioware said that they had been focusing previously the last two years the majority of their workforce on anthem not swotor that was admitted as well so more more evidence to state that clearly it's not as big of a focus for them but uh yeah i don't know hearthstone is free to play yeah that's true um though i think <laughs> people might have slightly different opinions about that hey welcome everybody who uh just showed up to the podcast all right man that was that was a bit of a long topic um okay the next thing i wanted to get into man i wanted to have some rants today but i just i don't know how many more i got in me you know what I'll do some rants but first let me get into some news and some reaction stuff (laughs) the first rant of the day was already like an hour (laughs) to be fair it was i did my artifact death of a game recap which by the way the support on it has been amazing so even though i i started off with talking about the negative like you know legal posturing and all that kind of stuff i want to say like seriously guys like the responses that i've gotten have been just incredible over artifacts and uh i even said it in the video i was a bit like insecure and nervous about doing an artifact video just because although i've played tcgs and i grew up playing like Yu Gi Oh and pokemon i didn't play magic so like i wasn't playing the real tcg as some people would say and so i was a like i've played magic uh the gathering arena and i've also played it online and um but i didn't think that really qualified me as being like good enough to to tell people my perspective, if you will. So like, I think it was, um, for me, it was was a learning process. And I've talked about this before, but it's like, ultimately, I want to do my Death of a Game series on multiplayer games, period, not just massive multiplayer games. And so it's going to be slow coming. I'm not just going to be jumping at every game to kind of cover because as it stands right now, RPGs, MMOs, and shooters are what I feel the most comfortable because I've spent the most of my life playing those games. But things like card games, uh, RTSs, like RTSs, I was only ever a StarCraft player. So it's like, can I talk about StarCraft? Oh, absolutely. StarCraft 1 and 2. Yeah, I know loads about those games. But can I talk about, uh, or sorry, I can talk about WarCraft as well. I forgot WarCraft. But can I talk about, I don't know, whatever RTS you guys can think of? I probably didn't play it. So like, That's another one of those things where it's like when I did my Age of Empires video, I had to consult with people who are way better Age of Empires players than me are way more experienced in Age of Empires. And I think that's just the key of the series is I don't want people to think that I'm trying to say I'm the expert in all of these games. Like, how could you possibly be an expert in a bunch of different fields? It's not really possible. So it's why I ask for um, uh, perspectives from the audience, basically, right? When I do my little community posts, I ask people to email me or post their opinions why they think the game uh, fails. That helps a lot. I read loads of reviews, critics, players, etc. cetera. And then sometimes, every now and then, I'm lucky enough to know somebody who has a lot of experience with a particular game or a particular genre, and they can help and offer me a lot of perspective that I otherwise wouldn't have. Your artifact video is the reason I subbed to you and I watched a lot of your content. I'm an artifact player that's followed the game for a while. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Someone quick, get some rant feel. Start the roundtable. Should I do the roundtable earlier, you guys think? before i get into my other stuff yeah we're gonna talk about some tim tim for sure we'll talk about tim tim yeah riot um riot is coming out with a ccg i think in an open beta in just like a week or two so i'm going to reach out to riot and i'd love to try that game out just because i'm curious um, about it i've heard a lot of good things i've heard that frankly enough it It learned, right? Like, it looked at Artifact. It looked at Magic the Gathering Arena. And it was like, we're not going to do those things. And so that already has my respect. So I'm eager to see how that game is because I haven't played it or tried it or even really watched anything about it yet. So I will probably be jumping in, though, whenever it's open beta. So we can play some uh, Runeterra. All right, so I wanted to get to um, my... Speaking of magic, there was the news that Cryptic and and publisher Perfect World Entertainment were working on an MMO ARPG, or an MMORPG, titled Magic Legends, and um, finally, 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 we've gotten gameplay footage showing the game and showing off the game's gameplay. There's been drama about this, especially on the MMO boards and the MMO sphere, because it was called an mmo and we've come to realize that it's not at all an mmo in fact the max amount of players you play with i believe is three so basically four players in total i think is how many players actually it might be three players is the max can someone Yeah. okay three it's a three player party arpg someone made this joke on twitter and i thought it was a pretty good one But the joke they made is that more people can play Magic the Gathering, the card game, than can play Magic Legends, the MMO RPG. Isn't that funny? Like, in a single game, you can have more people playing Magic the Gathering. (laughs) Because there's team. There's team-based modes in Magic the Gathering. So you could do team-based gameplay, right? And so you could actually get more players from playing Paper Magic than you could get from playing something that's calling itself an MMORPG. Alright, so let's just watch the video and then we'll react to it. Let's make sure to mute the sound so we don't get any more crazy copyright strikes. Alright, so the flying already looks weirdly like like it's a placeholder text. So it's, it's, it's pre-alpha, right? Or alpha footage, so we don't have to be too harsh on it. So you <laughs> All right. I remember I remember what my rant was about this now. All right. So I I talk about this and I talk about it a lot. Tagging pre-alpha footage on something or alpha this or whatever else doesn't change the fact that people are still going to judge the gameplay. Like, it doesn't matter what you slap on top. People will always judge it. Now, should they judge it in comparison to a fully launched game? That's debatable, right? That's debatable. I would probably say that's not that fair, depending on what stage of the game it is. If it's a pre-alpha footage that makes you think oh maybe we shouldn't be so hard on it but what if they just call it pre-alpha how do we know if it's pre-alpha just because they say it is like i'm not i'm not trying to be mr skeptic today um but i'm just saying like why do we assume that they're telling the truth just because they put it on the gameplay it just says pre-alpha what if it was alpha but they said pre-alpha because they didn't like the way it looked or what if it was beta but they don't want to admit that like I guess we can just take their word for it right we can take their word for it that it's is pre-alpha footage but the thing that I wanted to highlight here the most is you've advertised your game as an MMO and you have a section where you talk about standing together with your friends right and then look at all the frame drops dude you can tell it's lagging and no that's not my connection that's not your connection that's not the video player that's literally the game lagging when there's a lot of players on screen. And I'm not even talking about players, sorry. Let me scratch that. Not players. AI. So, when they're talking about playing with your friends, they show like your other two friends and then a bunch of mobs. The game's already lagging. It's already frame dropping. Why did you guys market your game as an MMO? It It doesn't even serve you. Like... This is a perfect example of why I always bang the drum that it's in your best interest as a developer to not call your game what it isn't, right? Why did No Man's Sky get so much shit? Because it said all of these things it was and it wasn't that thing, right? That's just human nature to be like, okay, so you said it's this. I watched this. It's not that, so I don't like it. Like, that's, that's pretty fucking common to have that reaction to things. But it's like you're, you're showcasing an MMO and Cryptic is showcasing an MMO, a company you think would understand what an MMO is at this point, especially Perfect World Entertainment, right? They've been involved in MMOs since I can even remember with their own uh, Perfect World game and many other games that they've published. But it's like, why would you advertise your game as an MMO, showcase that it's only three players, and then the in the gameplay, basically show it lagging the whole time? Like, I've seen this happen so much with developers when they do, like, trailers and stuff, and it's like, I had a rant on Twitter about this, but it's like... Why are MMO trailers and, and and advertisements so bad? Like they didn't used to be this bad. They didn't used to be this bad. And I and go watch WildStar's videos if you guys don't know what I'm talking about. The WildStar videos are incredible, man. Like the 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 hype that was behind WildStar and how effective its marketing campaign was was incredible, right? Like I mean, sure it had you know they had NCSoft back in them, but like. Still, they basically created a new IP with no prior knowledge, or it wasn't like they just did Guild Wars Two, right? That had this big existing fan base. The trailers for WildStar, for me, are like really an example of just a perfect, um, a perfect uh, ad campaign, right? How do you market your MMO? How do you market your game? Let alone, but I see, I, I just see this a lot, man. It's just it, it, it's so it's so tilting because it's like. Even if I was interested in the gameplay here, which, I'll be honest, to me just looks like, you know, more of the same of ARPG-type content. It doesn't look incredibly unique to me. I know it has cards and things like that that make it unique, as you see down here. Um, But, you know, I I guess if you're okay with the MMO... Sorry, (laughs) look at me about to say MMO as well. If you're okay with the action RPG style of game, and you don't care about it being totally innovative but you want to try it with maybe a little bit of innovation, like some card mechanics. I think maybe magic legends could be a game you could try and maybe you would even enjoy it. But the fact that they've came out of the gate advertising as an MMO for me and then doubling down saying things like, by the way, this is said by an actual developer that they stated that it's a path of exile style MMO. And it's like, You guys see Path of Exile as an MMO, even though the developers of that game don't see it as an MMO, right? Like, I've I've mentioned this before, and I've shown the actual footage, or sorry, the, um, the actual article. Look up, is Path of Exile an MMO? The first thing that comes up should be the Path of Exile wikia, which is actually a developer stating explicitly, not only is it not an MMO, we specifically didn't make it an MMO. Right, But then to hear somebody else just like developers from Cryptic here start calling it an MMO and then calling this an MMO, it just seems like you're just trying to be like, well, that's an MMO. So our game's an MMO, too, because it has social features in it, right? No, that's not how it works. Like, if just having aspects of a game means that you can claim it as your genre, um, I don't know. That just seems like you'd have a thousand genres for each game, right? you could say, well, it has a little bit of shooting, so it's an FPS, or it's a third-person shooter. It has a little bit of RPG, so it's an RPG, which is a real problem, by the way. But it has a little bit of this. It has a little bit of real-time strategy. Like, are you just going to call games like all these different... You lose out on um, the meaning of the words when you dilute them so much, right? And so, could they have came out the gate just saying, we're an action R- RPG cooperative game? Yeah. Would people still have been critical? Possibly. Maybe because of the footage and, you know, the fact that um, they expected a um, third-person camera. But if you were just like, sorry, yeah, we're actually just an ARPG-style game, I don't think people would have been that critical. Not as critical as they have been, which is just like everywhere I see people talk about this. It's even on like Slash Games subreddit, like very general subreddits. Even And I was happy to see it. Or I, I, I smiled a little bit, I'll be honest. Even people in that were saying, wait, how is three players uh, an MMO? And I'm like, I was happy to see that because I'm like, maybe we need some time to work on the other games that have like 60 players in a zone or less than 100 players in a zone that people still call an MMO. But at least we can start with three players isn't an MMO. (laughs) At least we have somewhere to start, right? Alright, I'm done with um, the Magic Legend stuff. This will be quick, but I did want to talk a little bit about um, some recent news we got concerning Lost Ark. Uh, Speaking of an MMO ARPG, or one that is advertising as an MMO ARPG, or at least certainly looks a lot more like an MMO than um, the previous ARPG, Lost Ark, which is, you know, as it stands right now, you can only play it in Korea and in Russia. But recently, they had a a season two update. They've added a expedition island with a housing system. They've gotten rid of the gender locks, which have been a big complaint of Westerners, um, which you know, and added apparently new classes. The reason why I wanted to talk a little bit about this is that I thought it'd be fun to speculate that perhaps the reason that they're doing this is because they are gearing up for a Western launch, right? Because Westerners have largely, in my experience, reading Black Desert Online comments and and comments on arc and just like like comments whenever people talk about asian mmos in general you'll help you'll hear people talk about hating gender lock oh gender lock only exists because they're lazy gender lock exists because they don't want to do more animations I, I, whatever your particular argument is i think it's fun to speculate here with lost ark that Maybe they're re- removing gender locks because they're looking at sooner than later because it hasn't been announced exactly when they would be bringing it to uh, the Western world. But I don't know, maybe this is a good omen for that. So we'll see. Gender lock means only a class is available in one gender. Yeah, so basically it's like um, in Warhammer, there's an actual lore reason, but like a witch elf in Warhammer Online was only reserved for females. So in that case, there's a lore reason. It's built into the class. It's built into the lore. A lot of the time, though, for example, when Asian MMOs typically handle a gender lock, um, it's it's something along the lines of a summoner, a spellcaster, can only be a girl character. And so for some people, of course, that's annoying because maybe they don't want to play a girl character. But for other people, it's annoying because they see it as like you're just cutting corners, right? Whatever your opinion is. My Korean friends have said that Lost Ark is fairly good. That's good to hear. Like a Witcher can only be male. Yeah, that's, a, that's another example of a gender lock. Okay. Not much else there, just a little bit of speculation. Um, I did want to get this uh, other bit of news out of the way, which is very intriguing to me, but it comes with a cost, I think. Um, there's a downside so recently there's been a big update in albion online it's referred to as the queen update now i'm not going to go through the entirety of this thing but i've linked it in chat for those who are interested Um, but essentially it's talked about a complete rework of the outlands content um, or continent along with fully revamping the open world territory control they've added a hideout system that lets guilds place their own bases in the open world They have the Crystal League, which is like some sort of like 5v5 arena league. They've added a new faction to the game. There's elite randomized dungeons, more quality of life uh, improvements. Um, Let's see. Yeah, it talks about how hideouts allow guilds to build their underground bases in the open world. So this is actually very significant. Because I made a why I don't play video for Albion Online, I wanted to dive into this and why it's significant. It's significant because my big criticism with the game is that Largely before, it was just ran by Mega Zergs. And the reason why that's so significant, besides it being a big problem clearly in the game, um, was because when the game was in closed beta, it wasn't that way. They've changed the game at least like four or five different times. Like, I'm not talking about just changed aspects. I mean, literally like taking the game dock, throwing it in the trash and like pulled another one out. Like they've redesigned the game so many times already within even just like whenever they were building the game. Um... This is actually pretty significant because now uh guilds have a way, small guilds, for example, have a way to have a base out in the open world without having to cap a big territory in order to do that. So that's a big uh boon for small scale. Um, Adding a 5v5 arena system, while I don't necessarily care about that in the context of a sandbox game, I still think it's something that, you know, small scale players will be happy about because they have another thing that they can participate in that's PvP oriented. Um adding more um, dungeons that are elite dungeons so more challenging pve content another good thing um, they've added apparently a keyboard shortcut to inspect players much needed um, streamlined and simplified the item power progression which is like not all of this is explained completely but that's a really good thing to hear about and um all this is just really positive and then i i made the realization that the main point of criticism in my albion online video it it wasn't addressed and i've kind of come to believe i don't think it can be addressed and what that criticism is is the gameplay the gameplay itself i think the gameplay itself i think that's actually the biggest problem of the game and my reasoning for that is the game was originally designed to be played on tablets and phones. So they built the game with the infrastructure, and you can tell if you play the game, right, to be played on a mobile device. The problem is is that it's not played on mobile devices. In fact, I don't even know if they officially launched on a mobile device yet. I think you have to jerry-rig it if you want it to work on a mobile device. And so as a PC player, when you play the game, it ends up feeling like you're playing a game that's a mobile game on your PC, it's a closed beta that you have to pay for, for for mobile? There you go. I mean, even though it was originally designed that way, they're making it a closed beta you have to pay for? That's I didn't even know that, man. That's that's news to me. Huh. I, I still think that that's not fixed, and I I don't know if it can be fixed. I think they built that into the framework of the game. That's the foundational aspect of the game, is that it was built for a mobile device, right? And so the combat, because of that, is very simplistic, right? There's not nearly as much... Control as you have, uh, even though people will compare Albion Online to things like Dota, for example, or things like League of Legends, those games can't be any more different. And the reason why those games are so different, besides they look similar and they have abilities and um, ultimate abilities, the reason why they're different is because those games have very difficult mechanics that you have to master in order to be good at those games. So to start with uh, Dota, things like uh, killing your own minions to deny CS. Things like last hitting, things like knowing how turn facing works, because unlike in League, you can't instantly turn around. So you have to take into consideration how long it takes for your character to turn, right? Which affects the way you fight. Um, mana is a big part of that game, right? Like your mana costs are extremely high in lane phase because it's more or it's less about just fighting endlessly and more about using your mana sparingly. And uh, those are just a few of the mechanics. There's many more and I'm sure the Dota fans in chat can can back me up. There's many more mechanics that you'd have to learn in order to get good at playing the game. Um, League of Legends, the one that I'm far more experienced with that I played since beta, basically, um, and was playing recently. Don't hate me, guys. I I was playing with a friend, okay? I wasn't really playing on my own. I'm not trying to, like, stream it or whatever else, but with League, you have things like last hitting. You have things like attack moving. Um, Attack moving is a big part of playing an AD carry, for example. Attack moving is essentially I attack my target while... Within the window of my auto attack speed, I move. So for example, if my auto attack speed is one attack a second, every second I'm allowed to move one second, right? That allows me to move away from my target and keep a range between us and a distance between us so I don't get caught by abilities. I don't get, you know, caught by minions and I don't get caught by et cetera, et cetera. Attack moving is a big... It is a thing in uh, Dota, but it's not nearly as big Limposs. I knew someone like you would say something about that. It's not nearly as big in in that game. In fact, I will debate anybody here to the death if they want to make that argument, because I don't think you can make that argument. There's barely any attack-moving characters in Dota. Like, what characters are, like, known for being attack movers? It's why I actually don't like the game, funny enough. (laughs) So that's why it's, like, a passionate topic for me. Um, But anyway... League is a lot about attack moving. Like, pretty much every AD carry has to attack move. If you don't, you'll be attacking your max range going from melee range, basically. So it's like, you, don't, you want to use your max range from somebody because you're squishy and you have weaknesses. But if you don't attack move, it means that you're going to get closer and closer to your target, which means that there's more chances for them to catch you, stun you, and kill you. The reason why all of this is relevant is, I've listed a bunch of mechanical reasons, things like last hitting, movement, ability placement, um, twitch reactions. There's twitch reactions in Dota and in uh, league where you flash, boom, and do an ability. You teleport in and you pull somebody with, with sludge or um you um you're playing riven and so you have to do all her little um key uh inputs where you're auto attack canceling and things like that. Like there's a lot of complexity in both of these games mechanically. And maybe for like players who are playing um Casually might not necessarily like be the best at, but they still even casual players still understand those mechanics. They might not be good at them, but they still understand them. The problem with Albion online is that there's basically none of that. like the mechanical skill needed to play Albion online is so low that even my girlfriend, which she's good at other games, but she's never played mMOs, and i, I actually I don't even know if I've ever told this story before. <laughs> this is a perfect time to tell this story. So I was PvPing in Albion Online, and I had a guild of uh, players I was playing with, and we didn't have a healer or another healer. We needed another healer. So I was like, damn, man, like, we need another healer. So, of course, I turned to my girlfriend. And I'm like, hey, you want to try Albion Online? Because it seemed like a game she could get into, you know? like it, it was less of, like, a super intense 3D-style game. She likes games like that that are more um, top-down MOBA-style. So I was like, "Can you can you heal me, basically? Like, I never played MMOs before, and I've never played this game before. And I was like, no problem. Gave her the gear, gave her the weapon, and just told her, just press these two buttons the one that keeps people knocked away when you're healing, and the one that heals your team in like an AoE heal. And so, sure enough, she proceeded to just press those buttons, and she healed us. Like, no problem. In fact, she got good enough that her and I could actually PvP together. Like, I'm not gonna say like she was like amazing, but like, she was actually good enough to just press a couple of buttons and keep me alive whenever I was getting dinked right and so if I would think of doing that in like wow um or doing that in i don't know darkfall or or league or dota uh, to complete my examples or diablo i don't i don't think she would be able to do that and and I'm willing to prove that I could ask her and i could also she could show me i don't think she'd be able to do that i don't think she'd be able to just jump in and just be uh I did not get your uh, Twitch uh, Prime set. Well, I got it, but I did not uh, acknowledge it. Thank you, I love Unity. By the way... Oh, I love you, Lunity. I thought it said I love you, Unity. I was like, wait a minute. Is someone playing a trick on me here? Does somebody know I'm using Unity right now? I thought someone was trolling me. (laughs) Someone know that I'm building something in Unity right now? No, but thank you, I love Lunity. Um, Welcome to the Norr Club. Here's your tip, man. Or girl. Or it or they whatever you prefer to be called um, I'll call you whatever you prefer to be called spying on me <laughs> is Albion online good is it worth checking out um I mean I don't know if I'm the guy to ask that because I just made this big ass rant about why I think the game's just fundamentally flawed um, but anyway to, to talk about why it, you might be asking why does it matter if a game like that has mechanical depth Right? Or mechanical skill. Well, in my opinion, the reason why it matters is because it helps you, as a small scale player, be able to differentiate yourself from other players. It also helps you as an MMO player to differentiate yourself from players who play more, grind more. And so that might seem weird, but like, but wouldn't they be better at... Well, no, people who play more aren't necessarily just better than you by nature of playing more. Right? There's a higher chance they're better than you. But it's very common that you can have people, and I have friends like this. Uh, in fact, one of my good friends, Sam, he can hop on StarCraft every now and then, being a prior a Masters uh, player, nearly got GM, and still just shit on people in Diamond, like nothing. Like, he can hop on and just shit on people in Diamond, ELO like nobody's business. And he doesn't play the game regularly. So, like, some people are just good, right? And they can really show how good they are very quickly. Um, but that being said, uh, with Albion... It, there's there's a lot less of that. And, and, and yeah, we can argue it's probably because it's more of an MMO, so there's more power creep. Sure, there's some of that. But there's also MMOs where you don't necessarily have to have the best gear to be the best player either. So where it becomes problematic in Albion Online is when you realize the primary way to play the game was as a big group. So now everybody's playing as a big group. There's not as much mechanical skill, so you can't differentiate yourself as a player. You also can't conceivably like reliably outplay the bigger groups it's it like can you in very certain specific instances yeah i even showed footage of a friend of mine who's a solo player shitting on groups of players but he might be one of the best players i know who play mmos so like it was funny because like in that video people would be like oh but you showed footage of a guy beating multiple players doesn't that go against what you just said it's like guys the guy who did that He's been playing MMO since I can even remember. He might be one of the best players I know. Like, he's up there. He's one of the best players I've ever played with. So, like, if he can do it, you think that means you can do it or everybody else can do it? Come on. That's not how outliers work, right? He's an outlier. That doesn't prove the rule, right? The exception doesn't prove the rule. You've heard that before. Um, So... It becomes even more of a problem when you realize, and now I'll be on online, there's no friendly fire, right? There is no friendly fire. The fact that there's no friendly fire is even more problematic because now you can mass up a hundred dudes and go take down a smaller group. And what's the penalty? What's the penalty? If every problem in my game and PvP is solved with just bring more people, I don't really have a skill-centric PvP game, right? Right? And when my game is built around being PvP-centric, I'm basically saying, small-scale players, you guys are just going to have to kind of work it out as best as you can, because we're not really going to give you the tools that you need in order to perform. You can get engaged to get better and better when a game has a skill ceiling. Yeah, for sure. Even players who aren't good. And that's the thing, is, is like my my perspective, yes. Have I been a professional MMO player before? Yeah, I've got paid to play an MMO before. Am I like an MMO nerd? Absolutely. Am I, you know, at this point, shit? How many years is it? Tw- nearly twenty years into my MMO career. Yeah, I am. So like, yeah, for me, does it like I can't use myself as the metric, right? Of being like, oh, MMOs like that. I have to also look at other people's perspectives. But the truth of the matter is, is although I talk a lot from a skill-centric perspective and having a higher skill ceiling and blah, 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 that's not just because the Mr. Elitist guy, me, can enjoy it. It's also because, why do why do casual players like playing Dark Souls? Is it a casual game? I don't think anybody would make that argument. And yet they still like playing it. Why is it doing so well as a franchise when it's really hard and there's no easy mode in it? Because when people play it and they die, they're like, man, I want to (laughs) win. Simply put, I want to get better. I want to kill this boss, man. I'm tired of dying over and over again. What tricks do I need to learn? How do I dodge roll? How do I do this? How do I do that? Right? Just being a pro isn't the only person who wants to get good at a game. I think even casual players want to get good. It's just like, how much do they want to get good? Right? If a casual player is putting in one hour a day one hour a week, five hours a week, he's probably going to get good very slowly, right? So if he thinks he's going to get good much faster, maybe he'll quit because it's frustrating. But if he goes in with that expectation that, hey, I'm just a casual player and I'm just going to put as much hours as I can into it, he's going to enjoy those five, 10 hours, right? But if another player is like, well, I want to put 40 hours into a game, I'm going to play five hours a day or whatever else, they're probably going to get better faster, right? Because they're putting a lot more time into it. Casual does not mean bad in a game. It doesn't. And I, and I think that that's just like... Um, I admit that I'm part of that problem. I grew up on the internet back then. When I said 20 years of MMOs, I've been playing MMOs since I was 7. So um, the first MMO I played was a, a social avatar MMO. I've told the story many times. But back then, I do remember having that elitist mentality online. You'd be like, oh, casual, eh, who cares? Because you know? most people who played MMOs weren't really that casual. We were all pretty try hard back then. Um, But that being said, I kind of realized over time, I know casual players who will style on you. Like I was just talking about my friend Sam. He's a casual StarCraft player. And yet he can still beat probably nearly all of us in chat right now. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe even 2v1 we'd lose against him because I've done that before (laughs) and and lost as well. But um, being casual doesn't mean you're bad. It's just all it has to do with is how much time you put into it, right? And sometimes your perspective, which is usually time-based as well. <laughs> trash. Because <laughs> someone in chat, uh, Pajit, asked, what's the term for someone who plays a lot but still shit? <laughs> and Sempur padella said uh, trash. Sorry. Sometimes I, if I sound like I'm being neurotic and reading things out loud, it's because I also get published on SoundCloud where people only listen to the audio. And sometimes I don't do the best job of reading the questions. And so... Some I've gotten comments before where they're like, "Oh, I wish he would read the questions because I'm not watching, so I don't know what he's saying." So, hey, I'm, we're a, we're a stream first podcast second, basically. Um, we're we're a streaming podcast, uh, voice podcast second, I guess you would say, or audio only podcast second. All right, so I got the Queen update out of the way. Sounds like a great update, man. And honestly. After this update comes out, which is in seven days, might be one of the best times to play Albion, also considering it's a free-to-play game on Steam. That being said, I just also want to tell you guys what my personal beliefs are and perspective is, because I don't know if that's been alleviated yet. So, I'm actually I'm curious about it, but I still think the foundation is ultimately flawed. Um, but anyway. Alright, let's get into a rant. Um, How are we doing? uh... Okay. We're good on time. Hot stream or stream pod. Yeah. Basically. Right? Okay. This one's a rant, man. This one's a rant. It's just a live podcast. Let's not complicate things. Yeah. I guess I say audio only because when people talk about the SoundCloud, 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 SoundCloud. Podcasts or um it's also on uh Stitcher, iTunes, and a couple of other places. It is audio only though. Uh there, sorry. all right this one's a bit of a rant. Whenever I do rants, it's slash MMORPG subreddit pretty much. And you guys know I'm not the biggest fan of that subreddit. Anyway, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna explain why because I've done it so many times, but today there was a meme. And I thought it was interesting because going through, this is from last night, um, going through this, uh, sorry, I was talking to um, Black Ruins about this. Well, no, no, I was talking to somebody else, but Black Ruins showed up at the very end. I was talking to Quintessent and uh, Limpos and somebody else. But it was the concept, um, the meme is, in, your, in our game, you can tailor your character's build play styles to um, your preference, basically. And then the person asks, what's the best build? And then I guess it's like an emotional breakdown for that person. So reading through the comments here, um, I, what I found really interesting is this prevailing narrative that min-max culture basically has ruined MMOs. And min-max culture comes from, you know, later MMOs and MOBAs is the reason that there's min-max culture, et cetera, et cetera. So this one talks about MOBAs is the reason for that. Um, this person's saying um what i don't even know what they're going on about um somebody else talked about that they can't even get a group if they play an off spec like it's just about any mmo today this guy says try getting into a dungeon run if you're not running one of the current flavor of the month favored mid max builds right so th- there's a lot of this narrative in throughout this which is basically people just saying Uh, meta you you, it's a meta slave if you don't play this and you're gonna get like you can't basically participate in dungeons or, or content so i've talked about min maxing before or sorry i've talked about meta before but min maxing and meta are pretty hand in hand because in order to find a meta you min max right so once you realize how much dps a certain class does it lets you place it on the meta tier list Um, The problem with, and I'm going to make a video about this just so I don't have to talk about it anymore, but but the reason why meta is important, of course, is it lets you know, like, currently right now, what's the most effective way to play the game? Most of the time, especially when it comes to games like League of Legends, the meta is shifting constantly. So it's never just one way, right? Um, But to see the rhetoric of people saying, oh, but it's so bad to where you can't get a group by not playing meta. That's just not true that's just not true um what you should be saying is i want to get the group that i wanted to get but because they didn't like my build they didn't want to group with me but is that any different than them saying we don't like you as a person we don't like the way your character looks are people not allowed to say we don't want to group with you of course they're allowed to do that for whatever reason they have right if a group leader doesn't want to play with you He doesn't have to play with you. It has nothing to do with anything else. Now, yes, is it annoying that just because you play a different spec that somebody wouldn't want to play with you? That is annoying. But guess what? Why not just find another group? Why not make your own group? That's kind of the entire point of playing an MMO, wouldn't you say? Is finding a group of like-minded players to play with. I think this is more of a problem when people do things like LFR. Looking for raids. Looking for dungeons. When people do auto-queues and basically people berate them for playing something that's not flavor of the month. But what did you expect? That's the lowest common denominator of finding a group. You didn't control for quality at all. Think about that. If you don't control for quality of your group, meaning you don't know the people, you don't know what they're playing, you don't know their skill level, exactly, Elg. They're not your friends. They don't know you, dude. (laughs) Like, it's... Sometimes I feel like because MMOs became so game centric and not world centric as I believe they should be, but anyway, um, people don't realize it's it's the real world. Does everybody you meet out in the world just befriend you? Is everybody trying to be your best pal and want to want to go like? Let's say you want to go grocery shopping. Does the random guy down the street want to go with you? Like, <laughs> no. Like, what if what if maybe you're going to a concert? And you just ask three random people who are standing there at the concert, hey, you want to sit with me? If they said no, would you be like, man, this is like crap, dude. It's all about min-maxing here. It's all about like the culture. And like, it's like, no, they just don't want to play with you. Or sorry, they just don't want to go with you. So it's like, they're allowed to say no, right? Like, these people aren't your friend. The random people you meet who complain about meta, they're not your friend. So yeah, they're going to be annoying, I don't know about you guys, but I have people who aren't my friends who are annoying in real life, right? I don't associate with them. I don't play with them. And I'm not offended when they don't want to play with me because I don't want to play with someone who doesn't want to play with me, right? So if your group's like, man, dude, (laughs) wow, what a troll playing Elemental Shaman. Give them the finger and be like, all right, dude, I'm going to find another group then. Find another group of players who don't care so much about you playing Elemental Shaman, right? it exists i know it does because one of my friends playing classic wow played an elemental shaman right he had no trouble getting groups you just had to be willing to tank but anyway the point being is just it's more nuanced than just min max it's more nuanced than just oh um now everything's just about the meta and whatever else it's like news flash guys and again i've been playing now mmos since so it's 20 years ago at this point since 2000, right? And maybe 2001 if i if i want to be exact, maybe it's 19 years. Min-maxing existed back then, guys. I mean like who are we kidding, right? Like why is there this narrative that oh you can just look everything up online or the narrative that oh everything's just meta, it's just meta, it's just meta. It was always that way. In fact, again, Maybe a surprise to many people who didn't grow up on the internet like I did. We were way more toxic back then. We were way more toxic. We were way more elitist. Like the elite circles were way more elitist. We had like full application processes where you had to like sign away your life in order to join our guild. When I was in roleplay stormtrooper guilds, you had to go through like an entire process to join their guild. And people here who've joined old guilds, you probably can tell me a similar story. People min-max in D&D as well. It's not MMOs. It's not the coming of the times. People have always min-maxed. It's just human nature to try and do things in the easiest, most effective way. So if you're complaining about meta and min-maxing, what you really should be complaining about is the game not changing meta. Maybe not balancing certain aspects, right? Those are real criticisms. But the fact that it exists, period, a hierarchical nature of people wanting to know what does the most damage, what does... That's always existed. It's existed since D&D days, where MMOs come from, right? Where MUDs come from. Dungeons and Dragons, people min-maxing it. Is it fun to me? Not personally. I don't play D&D to min-max. But maybe people uh, like doing that. Maybe they want their character to be a badass fighter. Are you just going to tell them that they're not allowed to play the game that way because you don't want to be judged for playing the game differently. It's like, if you don't want to be judged, don't play with min-maxers. <laughs> don't, don't play with strangers, right? Um, Limpos says, didn't you agree that it probably wasn't to the same extent that it is today? Well, yeah, but, well, to be fair, Limpos, I think you'd give me a little bit more charity in saying what I actually said, which was... It's not that it's more today, it's that it's more accessible, right? The internet is more accessible. So more people know about it. More people know about min maxing. So, like from the perspective of like that widespread, yeah, it does seem like min maxing is bigger. It does seem like meta is a big deal, right? But my point is, is it's always been a big deal. It's always been there. It's just like now that it's easier to find that stuff. People are saying that now it's a big problem. By nature, it's always been a problem. It's just a bigger problem now because more people are following the herd, so to say. There's nothing wrong with playing a meta class, nor a meta role, because now you know they're effective at least. The problem arises when us, the players, create the narrative that you can only play meta, and that's just not true because it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the meta. And a good example of this is Guild Wars one Guild Wars One's meta shifts so much back in the day, maybe it still does to some extent, but I doubt they're balancing it that much, but um, it shifted so much um and it wasn't just because they were balancing the game, it was because over time people learned this is meta, but it doesn't mean it's invincible because if there's tools within the game to counter things, the meta is always shifting, right so in Guild Wars One. When one meta build was dominating, it didn't mean it just dominated forever. No, it meant that other people designed meta builds, right? Or non-meta builds at the time, they probably became meta after, to counter that build. So it's like the meta is like this. It's it's never just like, here's the meta and that's just it. It's never that simple. Like, meta builds have counters. Meta classes have counters. Meta champions or or heroes have counters, right? League, another example. Dota, another example. There's characters in the game who counter other characters who are low on a tier list. If you look them up on a tier list, they're super low. Like, Teemo shits on Singed. But is Teemo higher tier than Singed? No. I don't think he's ever been higher tier than Singed. Right? Because Singed brings a lot more to the team. But in a one-on-one fight, man, trust me, I know, I played Singed. Teemo shits on you, man. And it's not a fun matchup. But does that just mean... That he's top tier? Just because he beat me? No, it doesn't mean that. Beat em ups often show how overrated meta picks are. Yeah, that's a great example. A kill Like a Sir used um, Smash Bros. Melee as an example. Where non meta where non-meta characters, Yoshi, Mario, um, Sheik, well, Sheik is meta now, but at one point Sheik wasn't meta, right? There's certain characters that weren't meta. Who started to do really well in fact captain Falcon wins um local tournaments and I think won a major uh, recently uh, Yoshi won a major like these characters who were never considered to be meta and they haven't balanced the game differently since then really somehow became uh, meta I'm sorry somehow has success right and it's because does that make Yoshi meta if he wins nah it doesn't make him meta what it what it makes him is it makes him in a way, he was anti-meta, right? He knew how to play against the meta, and that's probably why he did really well. The PvP meta can be countered, but PvE meta cannot. It's the same. And and I can see that perspective. So that's actually a really good point, Adric, um, is the difference in meta between PvE and PvP is the difference between an open and a closed system, right? Open system meaning, like, players can change the environment. Closed system as in you can't change the environment. So in a PvE-centric game, having a worse DPS that offers no other utility is probably not going to be very fun to play. And that's a problem of the developers. But very oftentimes, I'd be told by players, oh, this particular DPS is worse. But if you bring everyone from the same DPS class just because they're the highest DPS, that's not meta either, right? Only bringing the one meta class... Because then you have to worry about gear, right? Gear competition. Then you have to worry about maybe you don't have certain skills like in, WoW, uh, in Classic WoW. You might need like a Trank Shot. You might need a um, Viper Sting. You might need a Freeze Trap. You might need a Banish from a Warlock. You might, n- etc. There's many different examples. They did a good job of that in Classic WoW because everyone brought unique tools to the table. So that's how they kind of countered the PvE meta, so to say. That being said, if you're talking about straight DPS races, it's probably not going to change a whole lot. But even then, it still has changed since the game has launched. And I think that that's still proof that the meta, even in a PvE scenario, while it doesn't fluctuate as much as a PvP scenario, you just got to give players enough time, man. And they'll find other ways to make shit work. And my example for that is just, look at the Feral Druid. Uh, Feral Druid and Shaman and Classic WoW were things that were not considered to be good, and were, th- were classes that were kind of memed on. You look at how much they're played now in Classic WoW, though, and how much they're just used in groups, and it kind of makes you think, were we wrong? Or they wrong? Maybe, maybe not. But people also had enough time to figure out other solutions. Ice climbers used to be considered low tier. That's a good point, Hugh. That's a good point. And now ice climbers are one of the most annoying uh, characters to play against because they can just wobble you endlessly. <laughs> can you imagine like ice climbers without wobble? Like they actually had to like get really good at approaching and they actually had to get really good at all these other like mechanics that now it's just about somebody whiffs, somebody uh, whiffs a grab or whiffs a a hit on your shield or something. It could be the game over for them. You can wobble them to death. mage is the only ever thing you need. Yeah, mage is. Um, I don't know what WoW was thinking with the mage. Like, that's a whole nother rant, but the mage does seem like it kind of goes against some of their, like, beliefs and, like, each class bringing unique tools to the table. Because the mage sometimes feels like it can just do everything in WoW. They're so, like, yeah. Mage is definitely a a good example of a class that you can get by off of just having a lot of mages, that's for sure. I read someone did an MCE speedrun with like 20 warriors. I mean, that must be a killer fast to kill Rag. With 20 warriors? Because I think the warrior DPSs in my Molten Core last night were top DPS on Rag because they just execute, execute, execute. If you had 20 warriors spamming, execute, I mean... That would be pretty insane. I like playing classes and builds that were effective, but no one played. In fact, uh, Black Ruins, that's my favorite thing to do in an MMO, period. Like, when I go into an MMO, I don't look at, like, what's the most damage, what's the most healing, what's the most tank. I look at what fits my playstyle, what is fun to me, and what is a class that's misunderstood, maybe, or not played as much because maybe it's complicated, or because people don't understand certain mechanics about it, I like playing the classes that people kind of you know close uh, close their eyes or turn their turn their head from you know because I can find a lot of value in classes like that. Typically, because matchup experience go back to fighting games is a big part about getting better at things. The same works in martial arts. It's all about getting used to like fighting against a certain kind of style, right? Um, but if you have a class or a um, Let's say you're have a um, you playing a profession or a class that's unique. It means that a lot of the players that you're going to be playing against don't have experience dealing with you. So you can actually beat a lot of players just simply because they don't have the knowledge. They don't know what you're capable of. Like, for example, uh, Nivea in, in, in uh, League of Legends was one of my favorite characters to play back in the day because no one ever played her, and she had that little rebirth mechanic. So I would take Ignite, and I would just go all in on the guy in mid lane, And he would go all in right there with me, except he didn't realize I could just rebirth myself, or you know, like come back to life with my little rebirth. And so, like that's just like one example of how matchup experience is really important, right? Matchup experience gets a little bit more complicated once you add other classes into the fray, because if anything, the number one way to keep things from being not balanced in PvP is having more players, Um, because MMO PvP has never originally been designed for 1v1 right it was never originally designed that way i'm not saying like there's not mmos that have big focuses on 1v1 maybe now they do but if you look at the original mmos that came out ultima everquest anarchy ashran's call um what else am i missing those are like the big ones i can think of right now 1v1 wasn't the main focus in those games like the The only one I can think of that maybe had the most 1v1 would be, like, Asheron's Call. Maybe that one had more 1v1 than the other games did. I'm drawn to the rejected classes like, a moth to the flame. I'm glad that there's a lot of us that do that, man. That's awesome. Is that a dog? Yes, that is a dog. <laughs> um mana is so expensive not going mage for the free mana can literally make a dungeon run a money sink that's a good point mage is great but i definitely or but definitely a reason i quit classic dps rotation was one button i felt i put a paperweight on my frostbolt key and would just watch netflix hunter's not that much better dude like doing hunter and raids has not really felt like that much different if anything it's just like i spam auto shot and i spam aim shot like Maybe every now and then I can throw in a multi shot on certain mobs or or uh for certain fights, but I'm not really using multi-shot a lot because it either is gonna break certain CCs or pull aggro or it just wastes a lot of mana. So largely, yeah, you just auto attack and you watch your guy then every now and then you got the aim shot. That's been my experience playing uh Hunter and Wow, so like looking back, actually, totally not related, but I do kind of regret playing a hunter for raids <laughs> like p v p it was it was a lot of fun. I don't take that back, but um mm, raids, it hasn't been that fun, but at least I didn't play mage for the raids, right, because, yeah, they have all those advantages I've talked about, and they're still great in a raid, but they're boring as hell. All right. Um, I've got two more little bits of news I want to get to first. Um, in fact, I'm I might, I might not talk about Tim Tim. I was going to talk about there are some impressions posted on Forbes, and I believe they have a stress test coming up. Tim Tim was the Pokemon-like MMO, or at least it's saying to be an MMO. I'm not 100% sure if it is yet. I haven't really seen enough of the game, but it's like a Pokemon-like MMO for some people. So. I've been hearing um things about that i thought maybe i don't know maybe i could make a video about it or um, try it out whenever it's uh, playable but as it stands right now i don't have a lot of opinions about it and i haven't tried it yet i don't really want to make that a news topic with that in mind the last thing of news i wanted to get to before we do the roundtable was um there's been an update concerning crowfall so we actually were asking about crowfall and what big they were going to announce for the new year coming in since we've seen all the other kickstarters start to make big announcements and it turns out the big announcement is uh they're going to be announcing 12 million more in financing so that brings them up to now 30 million overall so 12 million increase in financing is is huge um it doesn't say where it came from but it said that they closed an additional round of financing so they raised that money from investors which has negatives, positives, positives, they have more money to complete the game. Maybe they needed that. Maybe that was a big bottleneck. Negatives are you lose more and more creative freedom as you give, or sorry, as you take funding from other sources. Because funding from other sources always comes with strings attached. It's never just, take all this money, man. Make make the game you want to make, you know? So that's exciting, um, to say the least. Uh, just because... I've complained about Crowfall lacking polish and lacking polish for some time now with animations, visual feedback, and things like that. So maybe $12 brings them that much closer to completing Crowfall so they can launch it and bring it to the market. And that's pretty much what it says right here, actually. They've also talked about um, beta. And beta, apparently, is targeted for this year. It doesn't say exactly when, but it says that they're definitely planning on having a beta this year. Uh, It says we're pretty close on that. Pencils down is not far off. Then we'll go into bug fixing and polishing mode. Okay. Well, I didn't know that they said that they were going to go into polishing mode because that's been a big criticism of mine. With traditionally maps to a pattern of one week of polish for every month of development. At some point during this process, we'll push the new version up on our test server so we can get some external eyes on it. Mm, So, yeah, it doesn't say when this is planned, when beta is coming. But um, that's going to be pretty exciting to see, because they're also announcing what content and features are going to be showcased in that beta. They're going to be showing the Dregs rule set, which finally allows guilds to compete directly for control of campaign worlds in the Crowfall universe. Divine Favor, which apparently is adding a layer of strategy on top of the Conquest game. Guilds can fight to earn glory, wealth, and power to appease the gods, and in doing so, win the campaign. And then city building, which allows guilds to customize their strongholds with unique buildings like a barracks or an armory, and devise a myriad of strategies to build their empire and defeat their enemies and conquer the world. So, yeah. I don't have much else to say about Crowfall, because we've talked about it before. I made a video about the Kickstarter MMOs, but I just wanted to update everybody. $12 more in financing is certainly a good thing for um, the longevity of, or at least I should, not longevity, I should say the development process, but... Will those strings attached come with other, you know, certain uh, negative aspects? Only time can tell, basically. When I search Tim Tim, it doesn't show anything about the game. Only the Naruto character. (laughs) Published by Humble. Guess I will get it cheap in two months. Yeah, it's it's all over YouTube. I was going to go into it a bit, but I I don't know enough about it, so I don't really feel like wasting all that time to talk about something I don't know. Okay, let's do our roundtable. Is anybody around today? Um, Would anybody like to join me on the discussion for our weekly roundtable topic? We can put it off if there's not enough people. Um. So I need people to join the six pixels lobby um, for those who <laughs> you just got back into the office by not has uh, bad timing. Um, yeah, I don't see anybody in the lobby right now because I think in order to join the lobby, you have to be let's see. Um... I always forget this stuff. So I have to go read the rules myself. Okay, so yeah, after you get junior detective sorry, after you get junior detective, you get access to joining the podcast and you get access to chatting um on the live podcasts on the round table. Uh, you're 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 too low ranked. Well if you're if you're active in chat, um I'm sure we'll bump you up to junior detective in no time. Really that's just there to like have some level of quality control. So, uh, you know, we can manage who um, comes in and has discussions with us to make sure it makes for a good podcast discussion. Since Card's not here this week and Limpos is unavailable, uh, I believe Black Ruins hasn't even played well, so he doesn't have a perspective. And I don't believe Garthener is available. Carlo's not available. I don't see Maghorn around. So, yeah, I I think um, we can just put it off for next week. I can talk about what what it was, at least, so that you guys can have a game plan for next week when we talk about it. But it was a theory um, that I wanted to talk about. A theoretical question, if you will. And I've stayed away from making theoretical kind of questions because you can just get lost in them, right? But my question was, how would you fix World of Warcraft's classic PvP problem? Um, and to explain what I mean by PvP problem, I mean factional imbalances, Alteric Valley being Zerg down, Zerg versus Zerg, lack of content in PvP, um, the honor system, and etc. So, we we don't have to talk about that one this week. If anything, I don't know why I'm losing my voice today, but um, if anything, uh, we might need more time to even talk about this topic anyway. Because theoretical conversations are... Yeah, they can go so many different directions. But I wanted to do this one because, yeah, you know, if we're going to talk about what they would actually do, what Blizzard would actually do with Wild Classic's PvP problem, probably nothing, right? Like, at this point, they're probably not going to change anything or can't change anything. Um, but since we're making a theoretical um, assessment, we can come up with whatever we want. How would you fix factional imbalances? For example, I can give some quick examples. Factional imbalances would be, um, well not having two factions, right? That'd that that that'd be my first thing, or maybe not even having a faction. Um, doing it like Star Wars Galaxies did, where you can declare your faction as a player. Um, Alteric Valley, obviously, you'd have to balance Alteric Valley. You'd have to change aspects about the game. You'd have to maybe bring back some of the PvE elements that were in prior versions of it. Um, uh, for example, more NPCs that can actually harm and kill you guys. Make the scenario itself more difficult uh with zerg versus zerg well in a tab target game it's pretty hard to beat zerg versus zerg um especially when there's just two factions so unless you added more factions change the way the faction system work or added some sort of um by not to mention this but you could have some sort of um maybe aoe does less damage to people in big groups you could do something like that maybe that could help zerg versus zerg pvp but that could just make Zerg versus Zerg PvP last longer. Right? I don't know, maybe you give the smaller group an advantage in some kind of power. Like um different games have called this against the odds or um a champion system. Maybe with the honor system you change the way the honor system works. You change the way dishonorable kills works. These are many different examples that you could, you know, go with. Um so if you guys have anything you'd like to add, go to the Discord. Um, nerdslayer.gg or it's discord.gg slash nerdslayer and go to the six pixels pixels basement section, which I believe everybody has access to. Junior Detective and above. Okay. Well, for you people who don't have the access, post your thoughts in the game table section, which is public. The public house. So if you're not a junior detective rank you're a beat cop or whatever other rank you are but you'd like to offer your insight you can answer this question in the uh, game table section and um that's actually a good you know opportunity to flex your muscles so you can get promoted because the promotions don't really mean a whole lot other than just like um at certain levels early on it's just like you're active you're creating discussion you're participating in discussion which means you're not just saying things and then leaving um and then at the higher ranks like uh, the actual detective rank are people who are pretty active, are pretty curious, are always creating discussion, are always um, bringing up articles and and different things to create more uh, discussion. And they're just a lot more interested in the uh, flair aspect, I guess you would say, as well. Because the ranks that come after that are... Those are like the flex your muscles ranks. For example, after detective rank, there's the senior detective, and then there's the ultimate rank, which is going to be for basically like legendary members of our community legendary detective so yeah um they could make aoe's like Sunstrike and dota it does x damage but becomes split amongst uh units evenly would make single target more viable yeah at least at least it would do something i'm not going to say we'll just solve it like overnight because there's a lot of things you have to tackle in order to solve it but um You'd have to strip off a lot of the current uh, WoW mechanics. Well, the cool thing about having a theoretical discussion, um, maybe next time the theory-type questions could be more open, like, how would you stop zerging? Um, well, I want this one to be specifically about WoW. I know you want it to be more open-ended because you want to participate in it, and I get that. But after this, we can pick another game, too. You know, um, We can pick Black Desert Online. We can pick Age, We can pick uh, whatever other game we see as relevant, maybe Guild Wars 2, for example. Many other different games. Speaking of Guild Wars 2, by the way, since we're not going to do our roundtable today, if you guys want to play with me, um, I don't know where I'll be playing or what server, but just come join the Discord and just talk to me, basically, um, just at me, uh, or post in the MMO booth section of the Discord saying that you'd like to play Guild Wars 2, so we can just add each other and start uh, a group. i um, I'm going to be starting from level one, and uh, I'm going to be having both expansions, of course. And I think I'm going to have the expansions... Like, the only reason why I haven't started yet, even though the base game is free, is because I've been waiting to buy the expansion because I want to try out the Revenant. I'm I'm curious about it, and I'm wondering if I want to level up a Revenant. I'm not 100% sure on it yet. But um, the cool thing about Guild Wars 2 is that we can PvP, and we can PvP pretty much whenever, right? So you can make a character, and boom, you're already PvPing. If you guys want to play with us, you want to level with us... You want to make our own guilds where we're trying to make an insular guild, which basically means like we don't really trade or operate outside of the guild, but just operate inside. I'm trying to do that as much as possible. That way people don't just give me a bunch of shit or, you know, whatever else. Cause like it does change whether you want to admit it or not, it changes your perspective when people just give you a bunch of gold. Like luckily so far in wow classic, nobody just gave me a bunch of gold i felt like i actually got the legitimate experience of playing the game with other people in a group and such versus like i didn't go in and all of a sudden like when i was playing warhammer online on the private server someone gave me like multiple thousands of gold and i was just like and, and i think i didn't even open it they deleted it and i think they probably banned that guy but like um still people were just giving me a bunch of gold <laughs> and it changes your perspective of the game Better than Crowfall making me wait till level 15 about PvP. I find that interesting considering Crowfall seems like it's a lot more of a lobby-based PvP MMO. I find that weird that it would make you get to a certain level threshold in order to experience PvP. At least in Guild Wars 2, if you want to PvP, you can just make a character and start PvPing, right? Um, But obviously, if you want to do world versus world um, with like a a max level character, you got to buy the expansion where you get a max level character boost. level up a character yourself which is what I'm going to be doing okay so I got those parts out of the way that part out of the way I'm probably about to end up or end the podcast right here but I did want to talk about something briefly and I wanted to showcase something so I had been um I was getting rid of uh some some games that I had just basically laying around, like games that I'm not playing anymore. And uh, I ended up at... um. Well, actually, let me look up the game. I ended up at... Uh, what's the name of it? At a local game store. Gamefellas, I believe, is the name. And uh, we ended up getting Final Fantasy X, the remake, um, because I wanted to play that with my girlfriend and watch her play it. Um i'm trying to get inspiration right now because i've i've told people this but it's actually started the the foundation has started to come out of the ground as we say in construction right it's coming out of the ground is what we say in construction uh we're moving dirt another saying uh sorry for all of my construction puns but (laughs) those are things we say whenever our project is starting to be created or it's starting to work or get worked on rather um, I I found this game randomly and it was priced at like 17 bucks. And so I was like, it'll do, what is this game? And my girlfriend immediately was taken by the game and like the art style, like the way it um, was structured. And so, uh, yeah, we, we actually started playing this game and um, it's based off of a, uh, it's a sequel to a previous game. It'll do one uh, made by a Swedish company and it'll do two uh, plus is actually self-published by the Swedish company. And it launched on Steam. So this game is available on Steam. But if you want to get it on Switch, you have to buy it from secondhand stores because the publisher actually just ghosted on the developer and pulled the product from different stores like Xbox Store, PS Store, and uh, Switch. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about it first off because that's a what a horrible shitty situation. But this is the same company, Ludosity, who did Slapstick or sorry, Slap City, if you guys have heard of that game. They did Slap City, which is more recent um, of their games, and has you know it did pretty well. Slap City did pretty well. Uh, it's a fun, you know, <laughs> I would say physics based uh, fighting game. Maybe two point five D is the best way to describe it. Anyway, so I found this game and we started playing it, and man, I was uh, I was taken by the the style of of the way it plays. It's like a mix between Metroidvania zelda and final fantasy uh well actually i take that back not final fantasy um it's like zelda and metrovania like combined and uh it's a, a game about solving puzzles a game about running around and you know fighting your way through certain uh, uh encounters and beating certain uh, monsters up sorry this is uh, arlo if you guys have seen his content before He makes really good content about um the switch and nintendo in general so go subscribe to arlo if you haven't already um in fact i will subscribe to arlo because this was a good review but also a good he makes good videos anyway um yeah so i i i liked i liked the approach of this game it's cute it has a lot of humor for example you have like a fox that flies that follows you around but unlike like navi and zelda The Fox is not really that helpful. Like, he's sarcastic the whole time. He kind of, like, makes fun of you and just, like... It's, like, an interesting twist on a a pre-existing genre. And pre-existing... Sorry, pre-existing game. The reason why I actually brought it up today and brought it up at the very end, though, is because uh, I've been looking at it for inspiration. Because, as I've told you guys before, um, and this has been very slow coming because we're, you know, slowly moving out of the ground, as I said, um, as a volunteer project, a community project. um, But I want to make a game, and I want to make a single-player RPG. And uh, I was looking at a bunch of different styles of game and wondering what kind of combat, what kind of perspective do I want in my game? Of course, we thought isometric. Um, We thought, you know, a 3D game. We thought just a strictly 2D game. But what I found interesting about this game and games like this is um, the art style is actually it's somewhere in between. And so what what's interesting about this and um, it'll do is a good example. But I believe I have another one, too, which is. Uh, um... So this one doesn't get as much love as the 2D version but i'm just showcasing the style of the game the perspective so the perspective that they're using here is called orthographic right it's it looks kind of isometric but it's not it's it's a slightly different these are geography terms i'm not even going to try and explain all of them just look up orthographic if you're curious orthographic perspectives um platformers are actually the most common game to use a 2.5d style and a good example of that is uh So, have you guys played Mario Maker? Do you know the one uh, where you're playing uh, as a 3D sprite? I don't know. Yeah, here here it goes. So, this right here is a 2.5D game. Yeah, so, actually, Octopath Traveler is 2.5D as well. Well, I mean, it's more 2D with 3D simulated, which that means, like, they took a sprite and they animated it all the way around with different sprites. So it looks as if it's 3D, but it's not actually 3D. But it's funny you mentioned Octopath Traveler because it's actually a—it's the exact kind of example I'm looking for, where it looks very 3D at aspects, but it's also it's drawn. So it's actually got pixels and stuff. So um, that's a better example than showcasing this. In fact, I'll show it after. But 2.5D-style games are most commonly done as platformers. So pretty much everyone has seen this before, I'm sure. But do you notice how in the back it's it's not just 2D? Yeah, it's 3D. I mean he's actually showcasing it here. It's not just a 2D plane, it's actually a 3D plane. But it looks like it's 2D from that perspective. And so then he he, he starts playing um I think this is a different game. Or is this a, is this the same one, but it's a different mode? So here's him playing it now realized in 3D. So here's the the plane of the map, right? Is 2D. But the perspective and the model is 3D. Or maybe models That one looks 3D as well. Whereas this one is completely in 3D. it's like Mario 64 and games like that are completely in 3D. Um Octopath Traveler, which I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a good example. 2.5D is like this weird amalgamation style where it's like it it's confusing because it doesn't seem like or like to the human eye, you look at a game like this and you just think, oh this is 3D. But it, but it isn't really, right? It's a simulated 3D. So when you think 2.5D, just think, it's like this. It's got 2D sprites, but they're animated in, in a way that makes it look 3D. So this style of game is actually, um, from a perspective, the kind of look that we're going for. See how he can run forward as well? But when he was playing the Mario platformer, and it was in a 2d plane he could only go one direction i think they call that dimetric perspective but this one isn't uh this one has a bunch of different perspectives i should say first off it changes perspective multiple times but as you can see here it's it's orthographic right it's just from a level perspective so that basically means like it follows the character around but it follows them at a bit of a tilt where it makes everything look as if it's 3d um but anyway octopath traveler is uh is another good example to use for what we're trying to go for. So um, imagine making a five-minute review of a game that takes 50-plus hours to fully complete. Yeah, you know what? I just... That's the big reason why reviews to me don't necessarily mean that much and why I like Arlo's content, because I don't think he'd ever make like a five-minute video about it. Right? See, he actually... He didn't even make a review. He just made a video talking about how it's important. Consoles only to have them go multi-platform. Usually enough to push a good number of units all on their own. But if the Switch wants to be... Right, let's hear what he says. ...barely even scratch the surface of this game. And you know you're enjoying a game when the demo ends and you're just like, Oh, no, oh, wait, no! <laughs> Please, I need more! Oh, so there's specific- a demo available How for it? that art style, huh? Holy pants! This game is gorgeous! It doesn't matter if you're in a cave or a forest or some boring part of a town. Every... So I'm showing all of this because of course if you guys aren't interested in stuff feel free to click off and <laughs> you don't have to watch the podcast anymore um, this is near the end but i would like to and will continue to um, update you guys on the status I want to update you guys on the status of like a little community project and a lot of stuff is going on behind closed doors right now like for example the lore is being written as uh, slowly um, we're coming up with things like this like I'm showcasing what perspective do I want to design the game in um what uh art style are we trying to look for like very early things but i brought it up because um maybe on the switch they had a a demo but the steam version just came out with no demo yeah i think the i think i think the switch does have a demo because i just looked at it on my switch which is right there in the back if you see right there um and it had a demo but I, i guess i just assumed that they had one on pc but i guess not yeah pc demos don't happen nearly as much right but i wanted to talk about it because uh i'm obviously passionate about video games but i'm also passionate about game development and it's something that i've always just only ever dabbled with rpg maker right uh being the one that i've used the most but rpg maker doesn't allow you to make games like this that's for sure so like what um i've come to the conclusion is is like the best way forward best engine forward for somebody like me and us uh which right now the team is just gardener myself and card and um card is handling the world building the lore the writing i'm handling mainly design and a little bit of everything which is the unfortunate part about being a designer um as well as of course marketing um and then uh gardener is handling the coding aspects so all three of us are learning pretty much as we go and uh, pirating is how you demo pc games <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah so we're we're all pretty much learning on the go. So like none of us are experts in any of these fields, right? And so I'm looking at this project really as like a community project but also as like a it's a learning process. Like we're going to be um slowly showing of course more and more of what we're working on. But in the early stages right now, the main thing that we're focusing on is just getting the foundational design aspects down. But also um, soon, and I mean within a week, I believe, like next week, we're targeting for our next meeting, our next little game dev meeting that we do. We do like a a meeting every two weeks. That's how much of a back burner it is right now. Is like we're only meeting twice a week, or sorry, twice a month, because you know it's just so early in the process that we don't want to burn ourselves out and burn everybody else out, basically, by being like, oh, the game, the game, the game, the game, when it's so slow moving. None of us do this full time, and we also have full time jobs. so we can't put full time into the game um so we we want to move slowly, but move consistently is the key so by next week, on Friday, which is our meeting, so probably the next podcast, um well, not the next one, the next podcast uh wait a minute, yeah, the next podcast, so not sixty seven but episode sixty eight We should have some official material out um, that's going to be asking for volunteers. So if any of you guys are interested in learning Unity, if any of you are interested in learning C-Sharp, if any of you are interested in uh, C-Sharp is a coding language, sorry. Um, If any of you are interested in being a designer, a coder, an artist, an animator, or a writer, those are like the five different positions that we need basically as much help as we can get on. Though I will say writers, um, we probably won't have that many of them initially because initially the writing is going to be more like um, world-based. But after we start creating characters and creating different narratives, um, we'll start bringing in more writers to help write more characters. And plus, I think it's a cool opportunity for any of you who are interested. I just saw someone in chat saying they're interested in helping with writing. (laughs) Excuse me. It could be a good opportunity for you guys to put this on your portfolio say that you've not only worked on a game project but you worked on one that because you guys know it's me and you know that I don't just like speak out of my ass um it's one that will actually come to fruition whether or not I can guarantee it'll sell a lot of copies or I don't I don't know that yet right like I'm not worried about that I'm just worried about making a good game and making a fun game and I'm I'm worried about enjoying the process right now so if you're expecting to show up and um get paid a bunch of dollars this is volunteer work until we get to the point to where we can evaluate who is actually going to be a member of the team, right? Like, officially a member of the team. Like, once we actually have a demo and once we have a, um, a product, so to say. Um, but right now, it's just volunteering. Um, it's, it's all about just basically helping each other out. And so, if any of you are interested in being a uh, coder, animator, designer, writer, or an artist... Um, and helping with the projects, we're going to have all that material, saying what the expectations are, saying um what kind of tasks would you do in each of these roles, and also how we're going to be doing it differently this time, um, maybe compared to how other people do game development, is we're going to be learning on the go. Like if you're going to join us, don't worry. If you feel like oh, but like I barely even know how to fuck with unity or i barely know how to code or i do art but i'm not the best artist yet i don't want you guys to think that we're asking for finished products because if we were we wouldn't not pay you you know what i'm saying like if if i'd expect one of you to be a a star coder or some star artist or whatever and do content for us i would pay you like if you are professional at it so it's like it's actually okay if you aren't a professional if you're just a hobbyist right now or you're just really interested in it Because how we're going to handle this development project is as a community, which means that we're going to be learning as a community. So uh, we talked about this in our last meeting, but a big focus for me is for each of these roles, we're going to have material, material that you can read. um, And also we're going to list a couple of different tutorials that you can watch and study. And then um, on udemy.com and different places like that, maybe ones that you can buy for like five bucks, nine bucks and then we'll list the inspirations for the game so people can buy or or download you know i'm not going to say what what you guys know i'm trying to say but um play maybe these older games cuz some of the games for inspiration are um and i'll list them now secret of mana um that's a super old game so maybe you already own the game you don't have to buy it again um maybe you own it on an old console or or whatever else maybe you have it on your phone i think you can get it on your phone and However you end up playing that game, if you haven't played Secret of Mana, that's going to be an inspiration. Um, Another one would be Octopath Traveler, as we just covered. Um, Majora's Mask, the big one for me. Um, And Final Fantasy VI. So, like, those games, practicing how to make a game for when Hytale releases. (laughs) Big brain. I would love to support you regarding programming and game design. Already completed uh, several minor projects in Unity. Awesome, Kill Like a Sir. Uh, Well, I I can't wait to get all this out because, like, we don't want to just say, Hey, anybody come in? Because it'll be floodgates, guys. When I make a video, can you imagine? I'm going to get so many messages. Like, my brain is already getting hot right now, thinking of, like, it's too much to deal with. So, Hard, being the person he is, being the Dutch man he is, is going to help me create a process. And the process is basically going to have, like, some pretty simple requirements. The requirements are just going to be, Are you passionate? Are you interested in learning? And are you going to be consistent? So each week or each two weeks, I think is how we're doing it. You're going to have your task. Like we will assign you tasks when you're helping us as a volunteer. Once you make it past the process of volunteering, because there is going to be a process of you're going to have to fill something out. That way we know a little bit more about you. Maybe see if you have any history, see where we can place you basically. So we're trying to make it to where every week or every two weeks, We're gonna give somebody a um, a task to do. It might be small, like say for example, if you're like a basic programmer, we might just tell you, "Hey, dude, can you just figure out how to code in um, this piece of you know cloth to move, right?" Or an animator, can you give us a walking animation? Um, Or for an artist, can you make a sprite or can you make a model? um and maybe start with something simple not a character model but like a a model of an object right um maybe as a writer i would say can you write a couple of characters that fit these criteria and then kind of see you know what i'm saying so it's like we're trying to involve everybody but also make it like manageable so if you want to help and you don't have any experience you can learn and have enough time to learn and complete your task so like um say for example myself I'm not a pro in Unity. In fact, I've only have or I only have a very uh, basic understanding of Unity. But guess what? I have been doing. I've been studying. I've been taking a class. So, um, we'll talk about that kind of stuff. But basically, it's going to be pretty simple. If you join and you want to volunteer, you're going to have to be learning because if you're not learning, you'll just get naturally left behind, right? Because other people are learning, other people are contributing, and so that's kind of how we keep it as a community project is. Yeah, we're going to learn together and we can learn as a team, give each other different materials, maybe tell you where to look up free tutorials as well as paid tutorials, um, tell you which games to look at for inspiration, show you what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, the beauty of Unity is that there's so many community projects, community codes, source codes, and also paid assets that you can just, you know, use basically. Like you can buy a paid asset and boom, I'd have like a lighting system. Or there's free systems out there. The free source code. You can go out there right now and find a, light, a lighting system. Maybe a physics uh, system. Like It's all going to be about organizing all of that stuff together into something that works. And um, Secret of Mana is on Steam too. But the problem with Secret of Mana on Steam is it's actually... Secret of Mana on Steam is the remastered version, which is 2.5D, the version of game I want to create. But the problem is, is that it loses a lot of the artistic beauty of the previous 2D version. And I don't want to get into a big rant on that because I don't care like, that much to like make it a big point. But like, needless to say, if you just go look at Secret of Man on Steam and read the reviews, you'll see why people don't like the 3D 2.5D version because they just think that the other... And I'll just show you right now, actually. Check this out. Um... Secret of Mana Comparison. And you guys can judge for yourself. But this is why people don't suggest the one on Steam. If you look at the comparisons between these games, and by the way, I love 2D games. So like, this being a 2D game doesn't affect my perception of it at all. I love 2D games. Um, so that has nothing to do with my perspective here. But we want to make a 2.5D game because we want the models and objects to actually be animated, right? And 3D um but people's complaint with this version is that i mean just look at the guy i'm sorry just look at the what they did to the character here the character model is beautiful it's really nicely drawn here it just looks like they just threw some generic character model up there and we're just like all right here's the main character and there's many more scenes like this where it just looks like it's like people have compared it to like stardew valley the rpg versus like you look at how it looks over here and I mean it's like so beautiful. Look look at this scene right here. Look at how beautiful this is drawn. This is hand drawn. And then you kind of look at this and you're just like it just doesn't compare, right? <laughs> look at how they massacred my boy exactly. Now the cool thing is is there's a million different fucking mana games in the series. Adventures of Mana, <laughs> Manma. Adventures of Mana, you can get oh god I don't even want to see what that was. (laughs) You can get Adventures of Mana on your phone, or you can play it on the PS Vita. So you can go look at the Google store or whatever you, you know, whatever kind of phone you've got and you can get Adventures of Mana on your phone. It's similar to the one we just saw, but it's just slightly better. Basically. Like, as you can tell that the character models are better. This is actually Adventures of Mana is based off of Final Fantasy Adventures. So you can play this on your phone. Excuse me. Or, if you have a Switch like me, you can get this, which I will be getting as soon as I get paid, pretty much. Uh, no, not a review. It comes with all three of the games. It comes with Final Fantasy Adventures 1, which is what Secret of Mana is based off of. Then you get Secret of Mana, which is the, you know, the version that was essentially supposed to be a Final Fantasy game as well, but has an action combat system. So that's what's unique about this. You might be wondering, this just looks like a Final Fantasy game, a 2D Final Fantasy game. Actually, it has real-time action combat. You see that? So it's more like Final Fantasy and Zelda like had children. Um, and then, of course, you can play the third game in the series, which has never come to the West before and only previously existed in Japan. And that's Trials of Mana. So I know not all of you have Switches, but if you're like me, I really recommend getting this because it looks awesome. And I can't wait to get it. It's also co-op. Isn't that crazy? They made a Final Fantasy Zelda game that's cooperative. So not only do you get the whole narrative of a Final Fantasy game, you also get Zelda-like combat. You also get puzzles. You also get the ability to play with other people. Which is an eventual goal. More action than video. (laughs) That means it's an MMO. Exactly. This is an MMO now. I thought Square did the same thing as they did with Chrono Trigger and just ported a version of it. So I've heard something similar to that. I've also heard that people say it looks just like a mobile game that was ripped and they they basically gave it the uh, the Secret of Mana storyline. One more player and it's an MMO. <laughs> the funny thing is, is one of these is two-player co-op. One of them is actually three-player. So by, by Magic, Legends, and Cryptic's perspective, it actually is an MMO. Pretty crazy, huh? He used to be a professional ghostwriter. That's that's awesome. Yeah, no, um, I can tell you right now, card's been handling the lore, and I'm liking where it's headed already. I can't really t- say too many details because I out of respect for him and his process, I don't want to, you know, let the cat out of the bag. But one thing I'll say is is when I'm talking about like inspiration, all you have to just do is look at our inspirations. Final Fantasy VI, right? Secret of Mana, Majora's Mask these are big uh it'll do the game i just showed earlier octopath traveler just look at all those games and you'll notice a couple couple things right it's an rpg it's gonna have like an action combat system it's going to be 2.5 d uh, perspective so look like a 2d game with 3d models um it's going to have themes of magic and it's going to have themes of technology and how those interact with each other which is very final fantasy 6 um to say the least if you've played those games um also final fantasy 7 to be fair but uh yeah so you can kind of um glean a little bit on what those things mean you might be wondering what how does majora's mask fit into all of this i'll tell you simply the main reason that majora's mask is an inspiration for me is because nintendo made a very controversial game and they didn't care what people's opinions were about it they were like here's our game here's our mechanic We've got 3 days to solve the game <laughs> and i love that i love how like Controversial, it was my favorite Zelda game ever, by the way. Um, but also, I loved how uh, the world changes and it changes as the moon gets closer and closer to crashing into the um, earth, if you will. I can't remember what they call the uh, worlds. Any need for a historian? <laughs> what do you mean by historian? So, it's very weeb. Um, I guess you could take it, you could see it that way. Let me just make this statement. Although I love JRPGs, it, it, Black Ruins, me too. I was legitimately scared of Skull Kid, Majora's Mask, and that giant ass moon. Like, that, those three th- characters in Majora's Mask, like, elicited, like, a fear in me as a kid. But it was like a fear of, like, I gotta solve this, man. I need to stop this shit from happening, you know? Um,. I remember one streamer fell asleep playing that and the chat was freaking out about the moon falling. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a good game to fall asleep in, right? Because there's an end to the world, so to say. Um, But to go back to the weeb comment, um, although I did mention some JRPGs, one thing I will state that our game will have, and this is not a secret, um, is going to be not going to have a grand narrative. Meaning like you're not the chosen one. So the narrative will exist, a grand narrative of the world, but you will feel more like your. however much you want to participate in it is up to you, basically. So it's going to feel less like a Final Fantasy game in that sense, because Final Fantasy and Secret of Man are very linear story-wise. There's no chosen ones in this story. I can tell you that much. I do not like that kind of story at all. Um i like the games that have them but like if you asked me which one would i prefer i don't like those kinds of stories maybe just because they're overdone but uh, chosen one i feel like is it's not really that creative at this point like 20 plus years later we're still making chosen one storylines like i think it's time to start to do something different as in i do historical research I've done limited narrative writing, which I admit isn't especially good, but if you're if you're trying to take historical mytholo- or mythological inspiration, you could help there. Well, I mean, it sounds like you have some level of skill that you could apply to writing. So um we can definitely use help there, especially because like um how I want to have it designed is each map will be done, then moving on to the next map, moving on to the next map. So very again, very ill do, very Zelda like. But the difference is is that it'll be more like It'll Do versus Zelda. Because in It'll Do, it uh, it's not linear. You can actually go anywhere at any time you want to. Except there are certain parts that are blocked by puzzles. um, And those puzzles aren't linearly locked behind having to go through the story. You have to just go find where that tool is. The game will play a lot more like that than a typical Zelda game where you have to go to the temple to get the... This and this item and this item to progress. And it'll do immediately. You can go to one of the highest level zones. You're going to get your ass kicked. (laughs) In fact, players have complained about power spikes. It's not a power spike. It's just a non-linear scaling game, right? So it's not that there's a a great power spike. It's just don't go to the hardest area in the game when you're a noob character, basically. Have we picked an engine yet? Yeah, it's going to be Unity. I'm I'm 100% in unity. It's 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 unity and that's it at this point. Um because I've already started learning it. <laughs> and so it's a good old uh, sunk cost fallacy, right? Um okay, so other things that I wanted to mention about it would be uh so it's not going to have a grand narrative that makes you the chosen one. It also is going to have the potential very real potential to fail at multiple times of the game and it's not going to be oblivion or other games where like if you kill a certain character it tells you to reload or whatever else you won't necessarily know exactly what your consequences are sometimes but there will always be consequences and that's definitely a big design aspect that we believe in is cuz consequences can be fun too you know the fact that um you're afraid to die in a certain zone is also part of the fun right Just making it too easy um the beauty of making this a community project which by the way we've also officially like decided we're not going to make it crowdfunded and i know that's probably surprising to a lot of you but yeah we're not going to do crowdfunding and we we kind of passionately talked about this at our last meeting but the reasoning is is we just think that there's a lot of negative stigma around crowdfunding In early access, we also think that once you start opening up funding to other sources, whether investors, whether crowdfunding, you lose creative freedom. The way that we're going to get funding is by going slow, basically, by taking our time, by going bit by bit by bit. And so whenever it comes to making a decision to have to buy something like an asset or whatever else, that's just going to be something we deliberate over. And then whenever we have the money and, and time that's when we'll make the purchase. So, like, say, for example, if there's like a $100 asset pack uh, that I needed to buy, I think I need to buy. I'm not just going to buy it immediately because I don't have that kind of money laying around to just pour money into development. I mean, I'm still building my channel, right? But, so, what I would do is just say, okay, let me put this on the list as something that we really need to do. So, it's it's a priority. Eventually, we want to buy this uh, tool set, but maybe we just don't buy it right away. So, really like the the way that we're going to fund it ourselves is by going slow and by going just the indie grassroots way um and and that's kind of the thing is is like we want to have a working demo to go take it to conventions because um in two weeks or a week i actually just uh, i should be getting my media badge hopefully um i I signed up a little bit late that's why i'm a little bit worried if i'm going to get my media badge or not otherwise i'm going anyway i'm going to pay for my ticket but Here in uh, San Antonio, or sorry, I'm in Austin, but right next door in San Antonio, there's the Penny Arcade Expo South, so PAX South, and uh, I'll be going to that event, hopefully as media, and guess what I'm going to do there? Any ideas? What do you guys think I'm going to do there? I'm going to talk to people about games, right? Every single convention has an indie section and an indie booth, some bigger than others. So I'm going to talk to devs, I'm going to network, I'm going to learn What are the pros and cons of doing it this way? How much money did it take them to get to this stage? Uh, And the beautiful thing about indie developers, and I've already talked to many indie developers already at conventions like E3. In fact, E3 was one of the best times I had talking to indie developers because not a whole lot of people, unfortunately, are interested in them. Right? Maybe they have some like adventure game. Everyone's looking at Skyrim, or everyone's looking at, uh, at the time it was uh, Borderlands, or everyone wants to go watch the next big thing. Well, these little booths, these indie sections, they have these guys here that are just sitting there making these awesome games that nobody knows about, or not really anybody knows about. And so they have, like, I, I can't remember the name, but there's an actual community that, that uh, exists at Penny Arcade Expo, and it's an indie booth section. So, like, you can go to these booths and play a bunch of um, demos and get to see kind of how people have arrived at their, at their uh, video game, you know, like. How ready is their game? What does a demo even look like? What does it play like? What's their perspective on the process? How long did it take them to make that? How long was development? like? You learn basically all the important questions. And since I'm fortunate enough to have built my YouTube channel from nothing, um, I've also have the confidence and ability to build a game from nothing, right? Because I figured I already have the publicity. I don't need a marketing budget. And most people who do... Kickstarter, do it for marketing purposes. Early access, that's marketing, right? They're getting their game out there because it gets you news, right? Big crowdfunded game, boom. That's a lot of advertisement. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not worried about getting my game seen, right? Or played because I have you guys, my audience. Maybe you guys will hate my game, but at least you'll try it, right? But at least you'll be interested in it. At least you'll upvote a post I make about it, right? At least you'll support my journey, Right? Maybe if it's not interesting to you personally, so it's much easier once you think about it from that perspective. That I don't need to go hire a YouTuber to market my game. I am the YouTuber, and it's my game. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like so. If anyone's gonna know about it, it would be me. Um. So yeah, that we're just that's. I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. <laughs> you would try it. Well, thank you, pajama people. I, I appreciate that. I don't have much else to say about it because of course we're just working through the processes right now but just think steady steady but slow progress is what we're shooting for once we get to a point to where we have the systems in place a test world um the lore figured out the combat the bare bones of the combat system things like that once those are figured out then we can start showing um videos streams of me um uh designing and showcasing the game. Then eventually once we get to the point where we have a demo, then we can make a video about it. Hey, check out our demo. Uh in fact, we're not even sure if we're gonna launch on Steam. We're thinking like GOG or maybe some other uh platforms. Um but, you know, just try something different, right? To not just go the same approach as everybody else. And there's so many games on Steam and so many games get lost on Steam. And it's also, you know, this, the the Steam split is it's I don't know if I necessarily believe in them as a platform, right? in the same way that, you know, I, I think I believe more in GOG, personally. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's the main thing. It's just slow but steady progress. And um, I think that's going to win the race, right? Um, there, There's a bunch of great GDC talks about this. But a guy talked about um, how essentially, whenever you can fund the game yourself no matter how long it takes. The reason why Stardew Valley for example gets so much love is because um Concerned Ape did it himself, right? He didn't have to worry about this publisher, this person like he didn't have to worry about that at first, right? He just worried about making a good game. Then he found somebody to distribute it, right? After the fact, right? When he didn't really need like the funding per se, right? And I think there's many single dev projects that are successful um just as there's many who aren't successful but the main point i think is um focusing on building something as a group and as a community i think uh i would still sell it on uh, steam a 30% cut is still better than making zero um i mean gog i think has a has a either similar or a better cut but it's also it doesn't have all the other stuff that come with using steam right sell it on as many platforms as possible. We'll see. I'm not ruling out Steam 100% yet, so I'll say that. But we're exploring all other options. How about that? That's a better way to put it. Um, the things that are set in stone now, and I'll have a document that lists all the things that are set in stone, but it's going to be things like Unity, 2.5D perspective, RPG, um, not having some grand narrative chosen one, you're the... You're a wizard Harry kind of thing. Like we're not gonna do anything like that. So those things are set in stone, but not everything else is set in stone yet. So yeah, we're we're working on it, but um In this day and age you can certainly choose to stand on principles over distribution, but it is a choice and one you should know going in. Yeah, I think it's um if I didn't have a YouTube channel, I don't know if I'd if I'd have the balls not to launch on Steam. <laughs> you know? Like I don't know, man. You can be a wizard. I can say that much. Yeah, how about... I'm going to end the podcast right now, but I'm going to lean back for a second, and I'll just open up the floor to questions. You can ask me about anything, or you can ask me about the game. If I can't answer it, I'll say I can't answer it. If I can, I'll answer it. So, there's 29 of you still watching me now. And for those who are watching on YouTube or on SoundCloud later on, you guys can post in the comments any of your questions as well big ball energy to go a different route on distribution. Yeah, it is for sure. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I haven't been this excited to work on a game in a long time, man. I I feel exactly how I felt when I was a kid, (laughs) like when I was using RPG maker, when I was like nine, like 12 and shit, like I was so young, but even just inputting little values in and moving little like modules around, that was so fun for me, even though I didn't really know what the fuck we were doing. Right. like, I remember a friend of mine, Thomas, uh, we made this little room and in the room you could just interact with a bunch of different objects. But the hilarious part about the little game that we made was like, those objects would kill you in different ways. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> the game was all about just like dying in a bunch of stupid ways. So, like you'd walk up to a chair and this was his idea. It was a great idea. And you'd sit on the chair and the chair would just have some random spike and you would just die. <laughs> That's the kind of shit we were making when we were kids, basically um can i answer what you asked above yeah let me see isn't the steam cut fair to you considering things like forums guides screenshots while they take the standard industry cut um i mean i'm not trying to say that their cut isn't fair per se because actually i i think a lot of that is missing the um with steam at least because i don't think it's about necessarily like are you getting what what you're worth from it i think people's arguments with steam so far have been yeah about seventy thirty split has been a part of that, or has been a part of it but it's also been like ethical like people are also making ethical arguments moral arguments and i don't you know guys know me i don't like to get too much into moral arguments because you know people can really have different opinions about certain things like the only time i really get moralistic about an argument is in my rise of mobile mmos where i talked about gacha games hey, thanks Hey, what's up, Scribble? Uh, welcome back to the Noir Club. Uh, that's three months now with uh, Prime, and good to good to see you and talk to you. As a coder, the whole Steamworks features can be worth the split. Hmm. Can you can you can you highlight that a little bit? Can you uh tell me what you mean by that? Um, Alondras son asks. How are you going to fulfill the RP aspects? So one thing I'll say is, is um, in this game, you will be able to create your own character. So it, w- it won't be a fixed perspective character. Um, You will be able to create your own character. One thing I'll say that's going to be very unique about it in that sense is that once you create your character... You're not really going to be able to reliably just raise all your other skills like in some games you can do that like Morrowind and Oblivion and you won't be able to you won't be able to be a jack of all trades, I'll put it that way. You will have to specialize in this game. And I think that's a big part of creating an environment to roleplay is you have to make people feel like I'm the wizard so they can roleplay like a wizard, right? But if you if you just feel like you're everything, how are you going to roleplay as a wizard, you know? It's harder to feel the identity that comes from it. Another aspect I'll say um, about role play is that the, um, the way the game is going to play out is, is a lot of the story is going to come from the world itself. So adventuring, exploring are going to be huge parts of the game. right? That's In fact, just like a Zelda game you would expect, that's a big part of the game is just exploring. Um, and so exploring throughout the, the map and the, the world is going to unfold a bunch of different stories whether small stories, small quests, or big quests, right? And then, of course, there is the big narrative of what's going on, but it's less of a main quest, per se, and more of, like, how are you going to interact with the main quest? You know, like, because unlike in um, Mass Effect, the Reapers are coming, and yet you're helping Grandma, you know, (laughs) Grandma Jane with her lost cat. You know, it's kind of, of, like, jarring because you're like, Why am I doing all these little fetch quests when the Reapers are about to come and kill all of us, right? Well, you wouldn't really, right? In this game, if you choose not to deal with that big threat, whatever it is, it's going to happen regardless. So, like, say for example, you just want to go off and explore caves for a living in the game. And maybe get the rare items and sell the item and make money from that. And maybe you're just a cave dweller, you're a spelunker, right? You can Spelunk all you want. But if there's a war outside, the war is going to happen regardless of whether you like it or not, basically. So you can choose to affect the war or affect the part of a quest, right? But if you don't, there's going to be a consequence. So like a good example is um, Grandma Jane says, hey, can you protect my farm? Some raiders are about to come attack. If you choose not to protect the farm... The farm's going to be wiped out. And not only did you just wipe out a, f- a farm. You also lost an important part of your community. Because now the community's going to be pissed at you. They're going to be like, dude, you could have helped the farm. like, But now we don't have food. And now we can't eat. And now we're struggling. Right? And so now it creates this other need to do something. But I, I want to nail the aspect of like, whether you like it or not, the world is happening. So, you can choose to be a part of things, or you can choose to not be a part of things. But it's going to happen regardless. Well, let's call it a custom RPG first. Because um, the MMO part, I mean, you're talking years. Years away from that. Like, five years away from You know what I'm saying? Like, you're talking a long time to be... um, in the future because like the the path that i want to go is much like what other games have already done is start off as a single player rpg add a cooperative uh aspect to the game right so you can play with other players that is a goal i'll tell you right now that's definitely a goal you guys know me i love multiplayer games how could i not have co-op or the ability to play with other people i love that stuff um but the jump from single player to multiplayer isn't that big, actually jump from multiplayer to massive multiplayer with persistent states and all that other stuff is like I'll put it this way I don't have the I don't even have an inkling of an idea of how difficult it is that's how difficult it is <laughs> there's a reason why when you go to the unity forums and you ask people about making an MMO they usually tell you don't make an MMO <laughs> so um, yeah it's uh, yeah th- and there's a lot more Uh, As well, Simper when it comes to making an MMO, you have to worry about servers. You have to worry, like uh, Fionn said it best it's easy to synchronize two to four players, it's hard to synchronize a hundred. It is. It just is. Like, as much as you guys think I'm the savior and I know how MMOs work or whatever else, the first thing I admit to you guys is what I don't know. And I don't even know how difficult it is to do that. So. And we're not just going to be coming out the gate 100 players. like You're talking like half a decade for that process. You know what I mean? Like We're nowhere near making anything like that. Uh, so I would say it's an RPG that at some point probably after the first major content update um, which is going to be free. That's another thing be, we're going to be doing with the game. It's going to be a flat Box price higher box price, not higher than anything you've played already, but a higher box price. But all the content updates that come after that are going to be free. So when that content update comes, uh, it's going to add cooperative uh, modes to the game. Anything past that, I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm not. I can't even like. <sighs> like i can't even i don't know even know where to start man so i'm not even going to think about any of that shit yet (laughs) i'm just thinking let's make a good rpg and then we can add the ability for you to play with your friends so if you want to tell people we're making a cooperative rpg i think that's fair um but it won't be there at launch oh what did i miss um the savior i know like i think some people think that just because i research and do videos that i know all the answers or i know exactly like it, it doesn't work like that guys like it's trial and error and it's also hindsight is 2020 it's easy to make a post-mortem about a game for me because i can look at people who worked on the game and look at people who played the game and maybe i've played the game Running out of saliva, apparently. Their reason for their game being less massive Star Wars love is the only reasons people still put up with that game I think KOTOR as well right How many days is that? Give me like two weeks. So like I'm shooting for by the 27th. I want to have this figured out because... And then, of course, that artist will answer to me, which is how game development typically works, anyway. The lead designer.